Welcome back to Second and Short. It is February 3rd, 2023, and there's nothing to start off the show without saying that the greatest player in NFL history has retired. Tom Brady has officially retired, and this time it's for good. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe he'll be on the Raiders next year, but nonetheless, let's uh, let's talk about what we're going to be going through today. We've got, obviously... Tom Brady. There's so much to talk about here. And then um, we're going to talk a little bit of Pro Bowl, a little bit of some like ideal lineups, some Pro Bowl event preview, uh, get into a, a ton of NFL news, some MLB prospects uh, that will be coming up in 2023. Got a little list there, a little bit of MLB news that's a little more about the media than the game itself, some transfer deadline news from European soccer, Premier League weekend preview, and then we'll round it out with stake your claim. All right, let's talk about Tom Brady, Luke. I, It's obviously extremely hard to say that he's not the greatest of all time. And okay. I think, I feel like both of us have experienced our issues with Tom Brady. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me, me more so than you, I would say. Yours is on more occasions. Mine has more magnitude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. There was the AFC championship game where he put up 40 on us. Yeah, that's true. That's a tough one. But, yeah, uh, arguably the greatest NFL player of all time is gone. Uh, or As we said, maybe. Who knows? Do you think he? Do you think he's coming back? No, I don't. I don't, I but don't I can't so I can't say that he's not coming back until there is a new season of football and he is not the quarterback for a team. Yeah. Um, you just never know with this guy. I It's actually crazy to think about. I have literally, and I shit you not, been saying he's done every year from like 2016. And then and then whenever he was on the Bucks, I was like, okay, it's it's just not going to happen. I'm, I'm just going to accept it. But literally for since 2016, I've been thinking he's, he's done. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. And like last year, he gave us reason to believe it was done. And then 40 days later, he decided not to. And then, you know, we all know what ensued from that when it comes to his personal life. But, look, when it comes down to Tom Brady, there is nobody better at just putting up numbers, whether that be in wins or statistics or whatever. He's the greatest at all of it. He's got seven Super Bowls. That's the most by one player. First in Super Bowl MVPs with five. He is first in wins as the starting quarterback with 251. He's got the most postseason appearances with 20. He's the passing yards leader of all time with 89,214. A little fun fact with that one. If you combine his regular season and postseason passing yards, he would be first all time. In that same list, if you took away his postseason passing yards, he'd be second all-time. Wow. little fun stuff there. And then passing touchdowns leader of all-time, 649. A three-time MVP. He's got the most Pro Bowl appearances with 15. And in three seasons with the Bucks, rose up to second all-time in passing touchdowns. little pop quiz for you, Luke. What quarterback is he behind for the Buccaneers in passing touchdowns? Of all, oh, in Buccaneers history, or of all time, yep. Buccaneers history. Oh my God, Buccaneers! It's not a long history. 
Yeah, no. Um, when did this quarterback play? Pretty recently. He is still an active NFL player. It's not Jameis Winston, is it? It sure is. No way! Sure is. Jameis Winston has, like, I, I want to say, like, 121 passing touchdowns in his time with the Buccaneers. Got to remember, he had a season where he had, like, well, it was something ridiculous, like 50 touchdowns, 50 reception interceptions or something. Yeah, I think it was 30-30. <laughs> it, it could have been. Something just absolutely absurd on both sides when it comes to Jameis Winston. Uh, Dude, hang on. Fun fact about that, actually. That season, uh, the the whatever it was where he was tied with – he had a high number of touchdowns, but also he was tied in interceptions. But, like – I remember saying that season, like, I couldn't stand all the hate that he was getting. Like, I remember people were talking about, like, his eye surgery and shit like that. And I, I seriously thought after that season, Jameis Winston was going to be a force. Yep. That was a hot take that obviously did not, you know. Yeah. It, <laughs> hey, there's but, still time. He got LASIK. Yeah, he just right. hasn't been. He hasn't gotten a shot. His back's hurt. Yeah. Back to Brady. Back to Brady. And, and he did. It, that season was 30-30 back in 2019. Okay, it was 30-30. But. Yeah, let's talk Tom Brady. Luke, is there any Tom Brady moments that really stick out to you? Ooh. I like I like his um I don't know why this is the one, but uh I, I don't remember what game it was in. The the touchdown pass where Randy Moss like reeled it in one handed. And it, it was like a sixty yard pass too though. That, that's probably one of my favorite Tom Brady plays. I also like to play uh, early on in his career where the Bills player absolutely lit him up. Like, helmet flew off. It, it, I mean, he got up, took it like a champ. Um, yeah, those are just – those are two. Yeah. Like, he played – it's weird to say that at a point in Tom Brady's career, he played in, like, a different NFL. Yeah. Yeah, he's been around. Actually, another one. When uh, he was yelling at Tyron Matthew in the Super Bowl – I don't know why that kind of fired me up in the moment watching him yell at DBs. That's I cool. love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it comes to me, like the, the one that pops out to me and I don't really know why it's one that I just think of a lot. Cause I see the video all the time is uh, it was just, you know, a random Thursday night football game back in 2014 Patriots jets. Uh, like the circumstances don't even like really matter. But the video from it is hilarious. So um, the play ends and Antoine Barnes from the Jets kind of like just lightly shoulder bumps Brady, kind of gets up in his face. You know Brady likes to get up in people's faces after the play, but kind of gets up in his face. Antoine Barnes goes and bumps him, and Brady starts like going back. The flag gets thrown, and then he just like flops on the ground. Like he did not need to flop. He barely got hit. And, like, he was standing completely fine and then just falls on the ground. It's a hilarious video to watch. Oh, no. Not Brady. (laughs) Not our king. No. All right. Well, I do have some more just real interesting uh, information here, a little bit on Tom Brady. So he threw 737 touchdown passes. Uh, that would be across regular season and postseason to 98 different receivers. Huh. So Gronk had wow. 105, and, and I'm obviously not going to read off all 98 receivers, but.
But Gronk had 105, and then a significant drop out, uh, drop off down to Edelman with 41. Uh, Randy Moss caught 40, which is ridiculous because they really didn't play together for all that long. No. And then Wes Welker had 38. And Wes Welker. And then number five was Mike Evans with 36. Really? Yeah. Fun one as well. Uh, Aaron Hernandez had 20. Yeah, Aaron Hernandez is pretty damn good. He was pretty damn good at... Nah, never mind. <laughs> Other things as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. And what's even crazier is that if you took away those top five guys, Gronk, Randy Moss, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, and Mike Evans... He'd still have 418 regular season touchdown passes, which is tied with Ben Roethlisberger for seventh all time. That's insane. I, I think honestly, the one out of the one receiver out of that whole list that impresses me the most is Mike Evans. Yeah, they they played together for three years. That's it. And Mike Evans, what he only had like f- four touchdowns or five touchdowns this season. Yeah. Oh, this is something. I mean, could you argue could you argue that Mike Evans was the best receiver Tom Brady ever had as far as like no. where Tom Brady had him in his career? I'd say Randy Moss. Was Randy Moss in his prime? Uh, not really, but anyway. he was still an amazing receiver at the time. That is true. Um I was Mike Evans on uh was he on a better pace than Randy Moss was? Like in 3 years he caught Maybe. more than like I, I don't know how long Randy Moss was in New England. Let me top of my head. let me pull it up real quick. So he was in. So was Randy Moss was in New England for four seasons, 2007 okay. to 2010. He only played four games in 2010, but uh, okay. like obviously his peak years were in Minnesota. Duh. Yeah. But um, two years that he spent in Oakland we were pretty good, and then he goes to New England. He was still 98 receptions. Uh, 1,400 yards, Dang. and he caught, let's see, in his first season, he got 23 touchdowns. Holy shit. That's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Second season, 11. Fourth season, 13. That is so he, he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say that Randy Moss was still a top wide receiver at that point. I just, yeah, I just never knew that Randy Moss was that – good in new england i knew that they had highlights together and yeah. it was obviously a big deal you know because it's tom brady and randy moss i didn't realize he was still that good wow yeah i think what's kind of crazy just you know off topic looking at randy moss's career statistics is that he only had two seasons over 100 receptions wow whereas that's become almost regular for like multiple wide receivers a year yeah for the top guys yeah to get over that and like they didn't start tracking targets until 2006, but his ratio is not very good. Interesting. His second year I, I in mean, Oakland, he had 95 targets for 42 receptions. And then 2007, he had 160 for 98 receptions. Wow. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess he did have a lot of games, like like his Thanksgiving Day game yeah. against the Cowboys where it was three receptions, three touchdowns, like 100 and something yards. Yeah, like every year he, like from 2009, from, or so from his rookie year till 2009, his lowest, like longest reception of the season was 51 yards. 
Interesting. Other seasons, he had receptions of 76, 74, 66, things like that. But, and then, like, you know, tail end of his career, not so good. Where, uh, you know, 2010 with the Titans, his longest reception of the year out of six was um, 26 yards. The Titans? Yep. I don't even remember that. 2010. He split it between Minnesota and Tennessee. Okay. And New England. He was on all three of those teams in 2010. Oh, okay. Wow. But, yeah, enough for Randy Moss. Back to Brady. Uh, he's just... I think it's going to be hard for somebody to follow that up. A career like that. Yeah, um, I, I've always said this, and I, I'll still say it. I, I'm taking nothing away from Tom Brady here. He's not—he's not the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. Uh, he's probably—he may not even be in the top five as far as like my generation. I'd go as far as to say. But the thing about Tom Brady is that no—I don't think anybody will be able to copy. Is he was a quarterback, but the longevity and the success he had at older age—that will—that is unmatched. In my opinion, no one can do that. Yeah, I've never seen a quarterback, you know, he gets fired up, but he still stays, like, cool and collected yeah. throughout an entire game, no matter the stress, no matter the score, it doesn't matter. He's going to go out there and just do his thing every day, every night, Sunday, Saturday, Thursday, Monday, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like Michael Jordan. That That is just somebody that you don't want to talk trash to. <laughs> yeah. Look, you don't yeah. you don't want to see Tom Brady under the lights. Whether he's forty five years old or he's thirty two years old, that's not what you want to see. No, and that that's kind of going back to what I said. You know, yelling at Tyron Matthew as being one of my favorite Brady moments is seeing Brady yell at a defensive back in a Super Bowl and have to get like pushed back by his own offensive lineman. I knew the Chiefs were done. <laughs> there, yeah. there was nothing they could do after seeing Brady get like that. So. Yeah, don't make Tom Brady mad. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, you know, kind of just a little bit of, like, aftermath from Tom Brady retiring is the NFC South quarterbacks right now. I don't know if you saw this list, <laughs> but um, there is a total of – so there's two quarterbacks under contract on each team except the Bucks. They only have one. And oddly enough, I feel like the Falcons have the best quarterback room out of the four um, that are under contract. So you'll start the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks just have Kyle Trask. That's it. The Florida, uh, Florida like one-season wonder, Kyle Trask. And then the Saints have Jameis Winston and Jake Lutton. The Panthers have Matt Corral and Jacob Eason. And the Falcons have Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota. Yeah. What in the hell? Like this makes the NFC South look real bad. If if last season having one team or what the were the Bucks even over five hundred? I don't. No, think they so. were eight and nine. Yeah, having no teams over five hundred made us look pretty bad. I think this makes us look worse. Yeah, it's a it's a worn torn division, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It, honestly, if it was possible, they would all lose to each other. It, it like every game, every uh, game that they like, all of them should lose every division game. 
No, this see, I mean, yes, the division is bad, but I, I think it's more interesting than anything. There's there's a lot that can happen. This there's a lot that needs to happen this offseason for these teams. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see Definitely. how you know aggressive they get. But yeah. Yeah, and I think like an advantage of that is that all of them have like decent draft picks like outside of the Buccaneers. Like they the Buccaneers I think ended up with like the nineteenth pick, but you've got Actually, I don't know about the Saints. I don't know where they're picking, but the Falcons and Panthers both have top 10 picks. They're going to, you know, make some things happen with that. You know, there's possibilities that the Panthers try and trade up. So there's a lot going on in the NFC South. But, you know, Brady leaving really hurts uh, mainly the Bucks, but also the teams that were looking forward to possibly signing him in the offseason. The Raiders kind of seemed like the most likely destination for him in the offseason and now he's not heading there and then of course you know I think the biggest loser in this situation is just football fans um we don't get to see the greatest player of all time continue to play the game that he has dominated for 23 years yeah I mean everybody loves Tate Tom Brady but even me as a Steelers fan I mean once he was out of the conference in the NFC, I I really, you know, tried to like kind of take him in and watch every minute that I could. Cause I mean, it, it's, you know, it was our generation that saw the greatest NFL uh, player of all time. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people missed out by hating him so much, but that's also, you know, kind of the biggest deal with Tom Brady and his whole aura is that he, you know, won all the time and he's like a bully, you know, just a big yeah. NFL bully. But I, I don't know. He He's still a very special player, and it was very cool, you know, once he was out of the AFC for me. Yeah. And then, you know, there is winners in, in him retiring. Uh, obviously, the NFC as a whole uh, wins because they don't have to face him anymore. Uh, they don't have to be scared of him in the playoffs. And obviously, the biggest winner is Tom Brady because, uh, you know, we just laid it all out here. He's <laughs> got first place – and just about everything you could think of for a quarterback. And uh, you got to say it was all worth it. All the sacrifices, losing your wife, whatever. You're the GOAT. Yeah, you're the GOAT. And Who needs a I wife also, when you're good at football? <laughs> exactly. I also wanted to point out earlier you brought up his uh, seven Super Bowls. That's more than any NFL team also. Except the Patriots. Except the Patriots. <laughs> no, it's it's more than the Patriots. Is it? Yeah, because uh, he won one with the Buccaneers. The Patriots only won Super Bowls with Tom Brady, I'm pretty sure. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, there's teams that have more appearances. Yeah. I think the Patriots have 11. And he yeah, has 10. That sounds right. But, yeah, um, yeah and then just uh, anything else you want to talk about with Tom Brady? Um. Okay, another Tom Brady moment. And this is a – I don't know if you actually know about this clip, Grayson, but you got to watch it. Patriots, Jets, the year is like 2015, 2016. There is a uh, – it's a run play to LeGarrett Blunt, Patriots – former Patriots running back, former guy. Steelers running back too. I loved him on the Steelers. But he got Le'Veon Bell busted with pot. That's aside from the fact. Anyway, Tom Brady hands the ball off to LeGarrett Blunt. It's to the right side. Play gets blown up. LeGarrett Blunt starts running back to the left side of the O-line. So Tom Brady becomes lead blocker. He's playing against the Jets, right? They're they're not nice to each other, right? This is a division rival game. And Tom Brady literally has carnage completely around him. 
from Jets players and Patriots players just hitting each other. Tom Brady didn't get touched. It, it is one of the most insane videos. Because, like, I'm be honest, I'm a Jets player. If Tom Brady is that open and making himself lead blocker, I'm putting my helmet down. <laughs> and if this is my one chance, I'm putting my helmet down. I'm going to tackle him with the top of my head. <laughs> and Tom Brady doesn't even get touched. Y'all need to watch that clip if you've never seen it before. It's insane. Yes, I do remember that clip. And yeah. you're right. It's absurd that nobody just knocked his head off. Yeah, I, and it's the Jets, too. It wasn't like it was, you know, some, like, NFC-like team where they don't play each other that often. That's that's, that's the guy that literally <laughs> fucks you every time you see him, and he just doesn't <laughs> even get touched. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's wild. And just to close it out, let's all look forward to the 2028 Hall of Fame class. Tom Brady, J.J. Watt. I think J.J. Watt's going to make it. Both of them side by side. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, one defensive player, one offensive player. That's, Maybe we see Rodgers. Cool. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Matt Ryan will retire. You, uh, it's probably time. I think it's time. Oh, we'll see. I, I think the only way Matt Ryan should retire is if he ends up back in Atlanta. Uh, No. I'm good. Ship sailed. Really? Ship sailed. I mean, y'all do have a good draft pick, but like, yeah, I'm good. Ah, uh, man, you don't want Matty Ice to come back. Look, one he more can year. come be on the team, <laughs> but you don't. He's want not him starting. <laughs> we'll give him the retirement contract. Do you think Matt Ryan would start over Mariota next season? Uh, well, Mariota's not going to start. Yeah, well, he's also mad at the team, but I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, talent wise, do you think Matt Ryan's good enough to play over Mariota? Mariota yeah. was not bad. No, not with the way the offense is now. It's very yeah. different from what we ever did with Matt Ryan. That is true. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. Y'all need Lamar Jackson. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's what Logan's been telling me. Dude, I've, anyway. I've been on Dude. it. I want him in Atlanta. I'm Dude, that, sold. I, I am now actually sold on Lamar Jackson will be in Atlanta, and if he isn't, I'm going to be upset. As a non-Falcon fan <laughs> who lives in Georgia, I would love it if Lamar Jackson came to Atlanta. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit of Pro Bowl. Uh, at the moment, I'm actively watching some of the little skills competition stuff, just watching a bunch of linemen catch punts. But we're going to start it off. We're going to talk about kind of our ideal seven-on-seven -seven lineups with the guys available in the Pro Bowl. Oh, yeah. NFC offense, NFC defense, and then an AFC offense, AFC defense. Let's start. Let's kick it off. NFC offense. Okay. Who you got at quarterback? I I got my man Geno. I love Geno Smith this year. He he was my quarterback. I did really like Geno this year, but I I got to take Kirk. Yeah, yeah. It was between him and him and Geno for me. All right, and then. AFC quarterback. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Same. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty easy to pick Trevor Lawrence when your <laughs> other two options are Derek Carr and Tyler Huntley. I, uh, I'm i actually really glad to see Derek Carr. I, I think Derek Carr didn't really get a lot of closure, you know, with everything that happened last season, and I'm glad that he gets to go and have fun, you know, in the Pro Bowl. I, I feel like that's pretty good for him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but, yeah, we both got Trevor Lawrence. Um. My NFC running back, CMC, Christian McCaffrey. Yep, same. I think that 
you could make a case for other guys here. Like, um, um, absolutely blanking on it now. It was hard. It was, I have it here. Um, yeah. You got Dalvin Cook, uh, Saquon Barkley. Um, those that's, were pretty much the only other yeah, two. Yeah, that's it yeah. because Miles Sanders in the Super Bowl and Tony Pollard is injured. But, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, you Yeah, you could go with either of those two guys. I just think that McCaffrey is so valuable in a seven-on-seven matchup. That that is true. I I just went with him because I thought he had more consistent numbers. You, you know, Saquon had a good start to the season, but you know didn't really finish well. wasn't getting as many carries. And Dalvin Cook is uber talented, but you know when you're only handing him the ball off like 15 times per game, it's kind of I don't know, kind of hard to see what his full potential. So yeah, I went with McCaffrey. Yep. So we both took McCaffrey in the NFC. So let's talk AFC running backs. I took Josh Jacobs. Yeah, we have the same one here. I kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the, you can't really go wrong here with running backs. I just think that Josh Jacobs was the best of these three this season between Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, and Josh Jacobs. And I, agree. I like yeah. his pass catching ability. Yes. Yep. I, yeah, Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb are not bad picks, obviously, but Josh Jacobs is way more complete. And like you said, probably better on a seven on seven, too. So. All right. NFC wide receivers. Let's go. Let's go one by one. So you say your first. I'll say my first. All right. Well, we both had Justin Jefferson. Yes. <laughs> so I can go ahead yep. and get him off. Uh, I went with CD Lamb. Uh, he has had career high numbers in almost every major statistic this season. I don't know them off the top of my head, but yeah, CD Lamb was my second one. He was my second one as well. Yeah. No, CD Lamb's been great despite, you know, Dak. But, uh, and my third one was Amon Ra. I, I just love what he can do. I, I love, you know, his kind of rise, how it was very quick um, to, you know, NFL stardom uh, last season. And he's just, you know, continuing that it wasn't a fluke or pro- continuing to prove that it wasn't a fluke. So I'm on raw. Yeah, I took him on raw as well. Look, I yeah. like Terry McLaurin. He was the other option here. But yep. I just feel like what we saw from Amon Ra, especially early in the year, like the – it seems like he can effortlessly put up like 10 receptions, 150 and a touchdown. Yeah. And that is just so it's amazing. Like Terry McLaurin is undoubtedly, he was great this season. I think it was overshadowed by how weird his quarterback situation was. But yeah. when him and Taylor Heineke are on a field together, there is no stopping them unless you are very good at catching the ball as the defense. Yeah, Terry McLaurin, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that you have to respect. I, I want to say he could have been a – I want to say he was a free agent last season. And, you, you know, you've never heard Scary Terry complain about his quarterback situation, and it, it's literally been screwed the entire time he's been in the NFL. And we all know that on a better team, Terry McLaurin would put up ridiculous numbers. He, he is seriously that guy, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, he had to miss my list here. All right. Let's talk AFC wide receivers. I'm going to go first. I took Tyreek Hill. Yeah, we both had him. Okay, yeah, I think Tyreek Hill's speed, just in general, on a 7-on-7, oh, it's going to be hard. Hard to stop. Yeah, and I want to say also about Tyreek Hill, uh, he made me eat my words um, this season. I, I I always got so pissed off how people hated Michael Thomas and called him Slant Boy. Because Tyreek Hill is go boy. And I I didn't think I, I really thought he was gonna kind of fall off this season with uh with a new quarterback that obviously doesn't have the bazooka arm that Patrick Mahomes has. 
And but Tyree Kill was still awesome and consistent. So yeah, he also made my list. All right. Second one. I got Devontae Adams. I also have Devontae Adams. Yeah, it's it's so easy to pick him because he is just like I feel like I can confidently say he's the second best wide receiver in the league. Behind Justin Jefferson? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like his ability outside of just like, like he's great to creating separation downfield. He can run a go route, but his run after the catch abilities are just as good. And like he can play off a screen. He can play off a slant. He can run a go route. He yeah. and he's a top player at each of those things. Yeah, catching traffic, good hands, um, and and this season, like Tyree Kill, uh, went to a worse offense and well, worse quarterback. I don't know if you could really argue worse offense completely, but and still put up awesome numbers. Um, yeah, he he's the full package for sure at wide receiver. All right, and then my third wide receiver, I took Jamar. Ah, oh, so we we are split here. I have Diggs. Okay, see that yeah. that one's it's it's a very hard choice between the two, but I think that in seven, like I when it came down to like a hard choice, I thought of seven on seven, and I was yeah. like, I feel like Jamar Chase's ability um, after the catch is a little bit better than Stephon Diggs, whereas Stephon's a little more of a catch and traffic guy. Yeah. So I, I took Jamar for that reason, but I definitely understand taking Stefan. Yeah, I, I just like Stefan Diggs. He has a pretty good ability um, to get separation on a lot of guys. He's kind of, to me, he's the most Antonio Brown I've seen another wide receiver be. He's a high reception, high yardage kind of guy. Um, kind of like Devontae Adams, you know, he can run every route on the route tree. Um, he may not be as big, uh, but, you know, he can still do it. Um, he's great deep, you know, in the deep pass game as well. Uh, Stephon Diggs, I think, is probably my third, my like in my top three. You know, it would probably go Jay Jettas, Devontae Adams, and Stephon Diggs as far as like who I think the best are. So yeah, Stephon made my list over Jamar. All right, and then uh, a pretty easy selection uh, centers. It was just kind of pick the one that you've maybe I heard did. of. What tight end? Oh yeah, end I totally forgot about tight end. Okay, well not centers yet. Tight end, NFC <laughs> tight end. I took George Kittle. I took Hawkins socks. Really? I, yeah. Um, I thought Kittle would have been an obvious choice, and I, I feel like you can argue Hawkinson a little bit too. Hawkinson had, I, I think, just better – he had a little bit more consistently uh, – or a consistent season um, than Kittle did because Kittle kind of only broke out like towards the end. Hawkinson also had, I think, uh, a couple more like bigger games. And, yeah, so I went, I went with Hawkinson. So I just love George Kittle. And, yeah. like, his ability just in general as a tight end is so amazing. And and that's kind of the reason I took him. He's very versatile in the receiving game, and he's uh, probably the best blocking tight end at the same time. Say. So, he can block. yeah, I think that George Kittle was easily my pick there. I like it. I like it. All right, and then AFC tight end. Mm -hmm. I took Mark Andrews. Same. Uh, Mark Andrews is very underrated, in my opinion. If Lamar Jackson didn't have him, it'd be a completely different story in Baltimore. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, if Kelsey was available for this, Kelsey's the pick. But yeah. 
in the meantime, it's got to be Mark Andrews. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, now to the center. NFC center, I got Frank Ragnow of the Detroit Lions. Same. And I don't really know much about centers or, you know, many offensive linemen in general, but I know Frank Ragnow is a total stud on the Lions. Yeah, so, bro's yeah, I like savage. Frank Ragnow. But if if Jason Kelsey was available, he would be the guy. Jason Kelsey yeah. is a phenomenal center. Yes. And then AFC, I took Ben Jones only because I've heard him on Bussin' with the Boys. Is that um the Titans Taylor Wan's uh, podcast? Yeah, Taylor Wan and Will Compton. Yeah, it's a good Love one. That shit. Um, I went with Mitch Morse. And just off of I, I know I've heard the name before. I, I know he's sick, <laughs> but <laughs> that was really all I had to go there. It, mine would have been Creed Humphrey. That's a name that I do know very well. Yes. He is a sick center, but and also probably why he's in the Super Bowl. But yeah, I think it is interesting that both the starting centers um, are in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, good little center matchup we got. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's gonna be the, the whole game right there. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's go to the defense now. I'm excited. The way for the we defense, set up our man. defense, uh, we took two linebackers each. And then with the DBs and safety, we just kind of put them together. Um, it's mainly, uh, at least how I went, I took three DBs and two safeties, but one of those safeties would kind of play more of a defensive back position. And then um, obviously just a safety standalone. Let's start with the linebackers. NFC, there's two extremely easy picks, and it's Micah Parsons and Fred Warner. Yeah, uh, that's who I went with. Hang on, I'm trying to get the list here because there were a couple of other ones that I liked. Uh, those were just obviously the obvious ones. Yeah, I think – so Demario Davis, uh, a great, great yes. linebacker. And yeah. then Daniil Hunter uh, as a replacement for uh, Hassan Reddick. Uh, he's in there. Zadarius Smith as well. Yeah. All guys that I like. Those are all awesome linebackers. Yeah, I just think with – at least when it comes to, like, the outside linebackers, I think Micah Parsons was such an easy choice because obviously his pass rushing ability is ridiculous, but, like, he's not, like, a huge guy, and that's normally what you see from an outside linebacker, but he's still so strong. Yeah, I mean, we talked about on the podcast before, him throwing that 49ers tackle. And, like, what what's crazy about that play, is I didn't mention this on the po- previous podcast, but, like, you can literally see the size discrepancy between these two people. Micah is nowhere near as big as this dude, but Micah just threw him <laughs> with, like, one hand. And yeah. it's it, just insane. Uh, and Fred Warner, man, on the other end, I mean, they're what – he can do anything. <laughs> literally, he can do anything. Uh, we saw the, we talked about this on the podcast too, where he went and covered CD lamb from the line of scrimmage. I mean, no linebacker should be able to do that with a receiver like CD lamb, but but Fred Warner can. Yeah. It was ridiculous to see that. Yeah. All right. AFC. I feel like there was actually like, like there wasn't a clear cut two guys to pick here. Yes. I agreed. So I want to hear what you took. I went with Roquan Smith and Matthew Judon. How did we pick the same ones? <laughs> no way. Well, okay, Judon. Judon's an underrated pass rusher. He in is, league. man. Uh, my friend Gavin, he's a huge Patriots fan, and you know I get a lot of the kind of inside Patriots news. 
Matthew Judon is way better than what people give him credit for. Seriously. When the red sleeves are out there on the field, Patriots fans, you know what I'm talking about. It's going to be a tough game for whoever's uh, the tackle on that side. But, yeah, Matthew Judon is super underrated pass rusher. Dude, there's something scary about a guy that wears loose, long sleeves in the NFL. Yeah. Because you don't see it often. They're all Matthew Judon scares the shit out of me when he's got those sleeves. (laughs) Me too. And – Roquan Smith is, I, I mean, I, you know, had a pretty good taste of him, you know, this season. Uh, he got traded before we played the Ravens, so we did get to play him twice this year. And the first game, he was literally the reason that the Steelers lost. Uh, I know he had an interception. He had a couple pass deflections. Uh, he also was the one who hit Kenny and took him out of the game, but, you know, that's because he's a Raven. Um, and, and there's a huge reason of why he got the contract that he did. He deserved every penny of that contract. Oh, yeah. He's 100% deserving. And it was hard yeah. for me to not just pick uh, a little Bears Bears reunion with Bradley Chubb and Roquan. I just – I really like Matthew Judon. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, let's get into the kind of – we'll just kind of list through the entire secondary. Um, let's start off in the NFC. Who's your first secondary player? In the NFC, I went with Buda Baker. All right, yeah, so I took Buda Baker as well. Okay, um, I, I only took four players, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and then a safety. I, I, I mixed my cornerbacks and safeties. Okay, well, there should be five people total. Okay, I'll pick an extra one then. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, Buda Baker is a great pick, and I think that the best thing about having Buda Baker here is put him at like the corner position to guard Tyreek Hill because you need speed or sorry. Well, they're on the same team. Sorry. Um, to guard Jay Jettas because you need speed on speed. Yeah. And we all saw Buda Baker run down DK or no DK ran down Buda. Yeah. Uh, maybe not for speed. But Buda, Buda Baker is <laughs> fast as hell. You know that he, he is fast as hell. You don't see a lot of defensive players moving around as fast as him. No, not at all. All right. Who's your next DB? Um, I got Tariq Woolen. And it's just off of the picks alone. I, I feel like that number is is insane, and he should definitely be on my list. Yep, he made mine as well. He yeah. he is so good in just one on one contested ball coverage. Yeah. Yeah, I, he, he and he's good at finding the ball. I mean, I, how many picks did he have this year? Was it six? Uh, yeah, that that sounds right. It could have got put. Could have been more. I, I'm not really too sure six. what it was. Pulling it up right now. Yeah, six. Uh, he was tied six. for first in the league with six. So he was tied with Minka, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Um, but yeah, Tariq Woolen. See, I, I don't know. I think what you're going to see now is the, the Patriots kind of had the new meta, I, I want to say, for cornerbacks. And what I like, what I would like to have on my NFL team would be your cornerback one to be your complete shutdown guy, the guy that's going to have zero stats at the end of the game. But your corner two, I, I like a guy who can find the ball and get picks. So, and, and the Patriots kind of had that with Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson. I think Tariq Woolen is your good cornerback too, but he can also cover too. He's, he's not like Von Diggs, you know where you're getting, you know, toast every play, at least last season, but getting yeah. picks. So, yeah. All right. So we both had Tariq Wall, we both had Buda Baker. I'm going to go ahead and give my next guy. I got okay. Jair Alexander. That's who I took. 
Awesome. Yeah. Jair yeah. Alexander, and, and like with his, as bad as this Packers team was in general this whole year, Jair Alexander is outstanding. Yeah, awesome trash talker. I mean, that that's what you needed from your cornerback, man. You got to have one that's just a bitch. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and that's he what was Jair trying to fight is. everybody. Yeah, he was. And and he also, you know, had the game where uh, he shut down Jay Jettas in, in that blowout game. So, dude, yeah, he, he was in his head that whole game. They were, yes, he was. Dude, Jair Alexander does not shy away from anybody. And that's what I love about watching him play. Yeah, same. Why well, made right. the list? I took Trayvon. I, I to. took the other digs. Andre. Oh, really? Yes. I I'll be honest, didn't know he was a pro bowler this year. I might have just missed him. Yeah, I no, I just like him because I know he was a part of that quintessential, you know, secondary that the Seahawks had with uh, Tariq Woolen as well. They made a pretty good, you know, safety corner combo. So I like Quandre. I like that pick. Yeah. I honestly had no idea he even made the Pro Bowl, but yeah, he had a great season. Um, yeah, Javon's not a bad thing. Four interceptions, uh, forced a fumble. Very solid numbers. Yeah. Why'd you go with Javon? I don't know. I just, you know, his pickability is insane. Yeah. He's got a great read on the ball. He didn't really show it all that much this year, but, like, what he did last year was nothing short of amazing. Yeah, I, I think he got better at coverage this year. You yes. Know, since, since my dad is a Cowboys fan, I do consume a pretty decent amount of Cowboys football. And Trayvon definitely what had improved, at least on coverage, which I you know think is probably why he was getting less picks too. So, Yeah, when you got to play a little closer to your receiver, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and then your safety from the NFC. Well, I, I, I know I am almost certain we had the same person here because you like this guy, but I went with uh, Talanoa. Of course, man. There, yeah. He is so much fun to watch, man. He could do everything. He can play, honestly, any position in the secondary. He could play it well. He could play linebacker, honestly. And I was, yep. he is just all over the field. No matter where you put him, he covers grounds. And he has a great read. That's kind of what that whole 49ers defense, especially when it came to the safeties and linebackers, was their read off the snap was amazing. They track down running backs extremely well. They read the pass. They know, like, slant screens. They're on top of everything. Yeah, and, yeah, and you can just tell that um, Talanoa definitely was training with uh, Palamalu <laughs> in the summer. And it, it's because of this. Look, you, you brought it up. He can play almost anywhere on the defense, right? That's what Troy did. Lined up his linebacker a lot. And I liked how you brought that up because, you know, a lot of safeties I feel like are kind of moved to a linebacker position because it's kind of like an insult to them, right? Jamal Adams can't cover anybody. Everybody knows that, which is why he plays linebacker. But Troy, you know, and Hufanga, guys like those or guys like uh, them are going to play linebacker because they're just good at everything, not because they can't cover. It's because of, you know, the certain setup that they're in. And that I think that really says a lot to see how well he played at linebacker because that's a big deal for safeties. Yeah, and like I hadn't really heard much about Talanoa Hufanga going into this season, and he most definitely did not disappoint. He was fantastic. Yeah. All right. Uh, AFC def or wait, did we? Okay, yeah, AFC uh, secondary. 
I got to start it off with the guy that we have just talked endlessly about all year. Uh, Luke made an interesting claim about him last week. Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner. Yes, the man that Grayson and I are on our knees for 24-7. This guy, I, I, yeah, no, he was an obvious pick for me, which is kind of weird because he's a rookie. You know, I feel like Tariq Woolen, I could have made a case for him not to be in my list. Sauce Gardner uh, – needs to be in everybody's list (laughs) he is that good yeah he's ridiculous and there's so many things we could bring up but if you've listened to any episode of second and short for the last month i'm sure you've heard us say it let's go to the next guy i took pat sertan his coverage this year was undeniable yeah i i really like how he's developed i i kind of thought that he was going to have the same sort of development as like jeff okuda but Patrick Sertan is on a different level. I know Jeff Okuda got hurt um, his rookie year. I want to say he missed most of it or all of it or something like that. But Patrick Sertan developing way faster, and he's already a premier corner in this league too. Yeah, he was a huge part of that Broncos defense that was actually super good this season. Just too yep. bad their offense sucked. But, yeah, his second year in the league, he was extremely good. Yeah, he made my list, too. I, I love Patrick Sertan. I, I'm going to go ahead and get it with the third guy here. I went with Minka. And, I, yeah, it is biased. I am a Steelers fan, but he was also tied, you know, at six with Tariq Woolen for picks. So, I went with Minka. Yep, I got Minka as well. He, I, I kind of have him more at, in my safety position. Uh, he's fantastic. Obviously, the picks are a, a big part of that. But kind of like what we said with Hufanga, in a, a little bit different way is Minka's ability to just read. Um, he's very good at reading. Like, he follows the quarterback's eyes very well. Uh, obviously, that leads to the interceptions. But when it comes to just covering the field, especially, like, past, like, 15 yards, Minka is unrivaled. Yeah, I, I love me some Minka Fitzpatrick. And, and I like how you brought it up. He, he is different from, like, the Hufangas because Minka – Minka is your literal safety. You know, Terrell Edmonds kind of fills the Hufanga role of, you know, kind of moving around in the box, being the run support guy. But, yeah, you you need one of your safeties to be a true safety, and that's exactly what Minka is. He can do it all. All right. Next guy, I had to do it, Florida State boy himself, Derwin James. That man lights up anybody that comes in front of him. (laughs) One of my favorite – podcast moments this year was uh hearing travis kelty on the podcast with his brother jason kelsey talk about derwin james body slamming him (laughs) and uh, i think it was a thursday night football game but yeah derwin james is one of those guys you know he's little but he can lay the wood on some wide receivers and safeties coming across the middle yeah man he is strong that's the thing like this year 115 tackles two interceptions two forced fumbles four sacks like he can not only play the safety position in the secondary among the best or at like honestly might be the best right now but he also is super involved in the pass rush and is a huge factor in pressuring the quarterback yeah uh, he is a just a everywhere kind of safety I, I love Darwin James yep awesome player all right next guy who you got so this is where it kind of gets a little bit hard, and I, I I don't know if this was as hard for you as it was for me. I'm taking Marlon Humphrey over Xavier Howard and Jordan Jordan Poyer. Yeah, I, I did the exact same thing. 
I think that Marlon Humphrey, when it comes to just speed, Marlon Humphrey is so fast in coverage. Like, guys don't really get past him a lot. And though you could argue that Xavier Howard is, you know, just as good at the corner position, I think that. I think that Marlon Humphrey separates himself with the speed. Yeah, I, I like Marlon Humphrey's tackling ability the best. He, he's, you know, corners are – they don't really get a good rap for tackling. You know, it kind of takes more than one corner, usually if it's a big, deep play that gets completed. But Marlon Humphrey's usually tackling guys by himself. He's a strong cornerback, and he made my list. And Xavier Howard, in my opinion, he kind of had a little bit of a down year this year compared to what we've normally seen from him, like the past two or three years. And Jordan, Jordan Poyer, just kind of, meh. I mean, he's good, but talent on this list. <laughs> yeah, I think Jordan Poyer is great. I just think that, you know, taking Derwin James and Minka already, like they were pretty obvious picks there. I couldn't have taken yep. Poyer as well. Yeah. All right, well, that rounds out that list. Let's talk a little bit about Pro Bowl events. Um, Just a little bit. So the precision passing is one that we're going to talk about a little bit. So uh, precision passing, I don't have the full breakdown um, for that one up just yet. Give me one second. So, yeah, it'll be three quarterbacks from each conference. Uh, I believe it's supposed to be two actual quarterbacks. Or no, it it was rumored it was going to be two actual quarterbacks, one out-of-position guy. It's just going to be the three quarterbacks. But I want to add on a non-quarterback that we think could have been good at this. So, the three quarterbacks that will be participating, Tyler Huntley, Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins, and Jared Goff. But, what quarterback do you think is going to win this challenge? I went with Jared Goff. I did as well. I think that when it comes down to accuracy among these six guys, I think Jared Goff has the best. I think so too. And and, in this particular, you know, challenge, and it it seems like you and I kind of went with like the more like kind of deeper, deeper thought answer here. If Jared Goff is just standing there, I think he's more accurate than all those guys by far. I think Jared Goff wins it. Yeah. Look, I think obviously Huntley is just not the choice here. Neither is Carr, but Trevor Lawrence when it comes down to even when he's not getting pressured, he throws picks and that means he's not leading guys very well, or, you know, he's maybe under throwing, over throwing sometimes. And that is a factor in these games. Um, there's going to be a 60 yard bucket toss. Um, and then obviously the moving and static targets. I think the moving targets is where Jared Goff's going to take that win. Yeah, um, you don't think Derek Carr would be a good choice for this? I don't. I don't think he's all that accurate. He's got a solid arm, but um, when it comes to just standing there and throwing directly at something, I don't think he's all that good at it. I think he's better at throwing to people on the move. Um, I think he'd be fine in that long toss one, but I just don't think he's all that good. To me, it was actually kind of a tough decision between uh, Jared Goff and Derek Carr, in my opinion. I I think Derek Carr definitely has Trevor Lawrence beat, um, at least, you know, while Trevor Lawrence is still young. But I don't know. I thought thought Derek Carr would have been a good pick here, but I I don't know. That's just my opinion. I get where you're coming from because he would be a good pick. 
I just I don't really like Derek Carr in general. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> On QB, who you got? It's got to be CMC. He had a passing touchdown this year. He was my honorable mention because I, I kind of went, you know, uh, that's the obvious guy. I'm going to say Quan Barkley because of that Hail Mary throw to Odell Beckham Jr. I don't even remember what it was. I just know that play exists. <laughs> yeah, I remember that happening. But, yeah. dude, I for some reason, Christian McCaffrey has a solid arm. I'll never understand why. But he, like, the passing touchdown he had, it wasn't like a long passing touchdown. It was a pretty simple one. But – I love when running backs run the wildcat and throw the ball. So yes. I love both of our picks here, Saquon and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey, that touchdown pass uh, really helped out my fantasy team. That was uh, that was fun to have him <laughs> during that game. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. All right, let's talk best catch competition. And so there's uh, four representatives, two from the AFC, two from the NFC. AFCs are Pat Sertan and Stefan Diggs, and NFCs are Amon Ra and Justin Jefferson. Uh, we both picked one player from each conference who we think would win, and then we're going to argue uh, who would win between those two. So I went with Jay Jettas Stefan Diggs because this was kind of easy. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. I feel like even if it was the full batch of wide receivers uh, in the Pro Bowl or really anybody, I would have taken Stephon Diggs and Justin Jefferson. Yeah, um, they're just, I mean, some of the safest hands in the league. <laughs> I, I don't see how Sertan or uh, Amon Raw is really going to keep up in this challenge. I mean, they're both you know, good. And Patrick Sertan a little bit confusing as far as hands. You know, you might think like Tariq Woolen or someone with picks would be on the list, but Amon Ra will definitely be interesting to see though in the challenge. But I mean, it's yeah. Jay Jettis racing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to be Jay Jettis, honestly. I think Stephon Diggs has like a case because he's super athletic in the air. Yes. But when it comes to Justin Jefferson, like it, as long as he can put his hand on the ball, it's getting caught. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we saw it against uh, against the Bills, Vikings-Bills game. I mean, on fourth down, Kirk Cousins is just throwing it, I mean, in that area. And Justin Jefferson is just, you know, one hand grabbing it out of the air on fourth down. I mean, he can catch anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm I'm just enamored. I'm watching um, Saquon. I just watched Saquon Barkley get a dodgeball to the face. Um... <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Who hit him? Um, I, for some reason, I can't think of his, uh, I think it was DeMario Davis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. DeMario Davis just won their dodgeball game by hitting Saquon in the face. Um, sorry, that totally distracted me, but yes, Justin Jefferson (laughs) is probably going to win that best catch competition. Um, I think that does it for the Pro Bowl. Anything that you're looking forward to with this year's Pro Bowl? Anything you have to comment on, you know, the new format, how you feel about it, anything like that? Um, Yeah, I do have something, actually. I think just looking at the rosters of the Pro Bowl, you know, like with the injuries and the Super Bowl, this one is going to kind of (laughs) suck, I think. And there's a lot of guys on here that I'm just like, that are either missing out or, you know, just like 
aren't even going to play. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's not a lot of talent in this Pro Bowl compared to what I've seen before. Yeah, like I wish because in most other sports, uh, really all other sports, the All-Star game happens in the middle of the season. And so it allows a ton of people to participate, like the top of the top. You don't have to worry about, you know, guys being out because maybe they're getting an off-season surgery or they're playing in the Super Bowl, whatever. And, you know, like how fun of how fun would it have been if the quarterbacks for the precision passing were Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and then Geno Smith and Kirk Cousins? Yeah, and I mean, it's mid-season too. And I feel like if it's mid-season, you have like a little bit more of like a like a, a real factor to try. Yeah. Well, and it would be super competitive. And yeah, I agree with you. That, that would be an awesome uh, precision passing contest. Yeah, and I think that it's probably for the best at this point that the actual football game is just done. The way that they kept changing that game throughout the past couple years just made it suck and making it, you know, seven on sevens, a lot more fun, a lot more flashy. I think it'll be uh, a little bit more entertaining than just watching, you know, a full game where people aren't trying and it's just like a, a constant rotation of players. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if the players will have more fun, you know, with it being their off season, if they were playing seven on seven and probably try harder. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wish that uh, they would have just tossed Tom Brady in here as, like, honorary pro bowler. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, that's going to do it for the Pro Bowl. We've got a ton of NFL news to go through and uh, tons of entertaining things, uh, some interesting things, a little bit of crime. But let's start <laughs> it off first with Tua. So Tua has officially been cleared from the NFL's concussion protocol. He's been in protocol since December 28th or 26th, I believe. And look, I didn't even think that like this was news. I didn't know that he still hadn't cleared the concussion protocol. That's a entire month on concussion protocol. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I'm glad that I'm not the only one in this boat. I was super confused hear this and i i guess i don't know maybe it's kind of a little bit of a media thing too is you know the media i know caught a, or the nfl caught a lot of bad media um after you know the second to a concussion and maybe they just wanted to be sure this time or it kind of makes you wonder like maybe Tua was had like a really scary concussion you know and they were having to check it more i don't know i kind of want to know more about why it took a month like you said yeah i feel like you know, after the first one, he got cleared, what, like, to play the next week or maybe the week after? Yeah, and it was like, it, it, I, I thought it was days. <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy, and it makes me think that maybe they accelerated that process a little bit, and, you know, we all know that, you know, whether you clear concussion protocol or not, you had a concussion, and that has lasting effects. So seeing how long it's been just from the first one, because what that first one happened, uh, November, right? Like late November, I want to say. And, yeah. um, and then the, the second Bengals, right? one, yeah. 
uh, and then that second one comes in late December, makes me feel like he's just been dealing with a concussion since that first one. And that makes it so much worse that he played multiple games after it. Yeah, um, concussions are not something that you want to mess around with. <laughs> and, you know, with, with the brain, I, I know kind of like, you know, off topic, the brain is something that a lot of scientists really don't know about. Um, and concussions, especially in the NFL world, are just scary. You know, we've had guys commit suicide, you know, because of CTE-related injuries. Um, there's a lot of you know, mental health talk every time Antonio Brown does anything. And yeah, it's just, it's really scary. So honestly, it, it taking a month, especially, you know, with the Dolphins being eliminated, or no, yeah, eliminated from the playoffs, I feel like it's totally fine for it to take that long. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a lot to watch with Tua's, uh, at least his offseason. Um, they say that he's going to be fully ready for football um, as soon as they need him. So we'll see. I just. Yeah. Man, I don't want to see his career get cut short because they try and move a little bit too fast. Yeah, and at the same time as with concussions, like just just think about the way that we're talking about this right now. What other injury are are you and I, Grayson, saying like, oh, you know, he's cleared by doctors, but like, do we know he'll be ready in September? Like, only concussions give you this effect. And it's just, I, I don't know, concussions are just weird, man. Like the, skept the, the skepticism around them and how we don't even really trust the NFL or team doctors anymore when it comes to concussions. It's, I mean, they got to they gotta do something. And I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But let's move on. A um, little bit of news that has to do with Brady's retirement. So, I'm pretty sure this all kind of came out when he initially retired last year that he was going to be signing with Fox to be uh, on their broadcast team. And it's a 10-year, $375 million deal to be the head NFL analyst for Fox Sports. And what this means is he will most likely take over Greg Olson's role on the top Fox broadcast and... I think that sucks for Greg Olson. He did a fantastic job this season in the booth. Yeah, he's a he's a great football mind, a great personality. Um, and, you know, we were both talking about it before. Obviously, he was, you know, a Panther for most of his career, but even you admitted that you liked him and respected him. And, and I do too. And it's just, I don't know, I hope Greg Olson stays involved somehow in the broadcasting because, like you said, he was awesome. Yeah, he'll probably just like, um, I'm trying to remember, I think, like Fox does their whatever like game of the week thing was yeah. it the um America's game or whatever Oh um, yeah with like Tony Dungy and um, No so that's that's NBC's like Sunday night football um and that's football oh. night in America Yeah you're right But you're right, you're right. um so it's something along those lines and that will be what Brady calls uh Greg Olson will just be on a different broadcast but I would love to just continue to hear Greg Olson in the booth. I do think, though, that Tom Brady's going to be a, a great announcer. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, like Greg Olson, maybe even more so, Tom Brady's a better football mind. Of course, I'm kind of interested to see um, how his personality will translate to the broadcasting. Because, like, in the case of Tony Romo, I never knew Tony Romo was going to be so entertaining to listen to. 
And I, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see what Brady's like in the booth. Yeah, for sure. All right, next thing, the Cowboys. I uh, They're delusional, man. So <laughs> <laughs> the Cowboys are reportedly committed to Dak Prescott long-term and are open to extending his contract. Okay, so give me one reason <laughs> why that's a good idea. There, it, okay, I, I think it's not as easy to argue as kind of you're making it seem. I will say that. The Cowboys are stupid. Don't get me wrong. But the, this team is a playoff team with Dak Prescott at quarterback. And they might be scared to kind of, you know, rebuild with what they have now. Because what they have now, let's be honest, it is good. But, yeah, I don't know. Dak is – he's not getting better. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think you can argue both ways in this kind of situation. What do you think? Dude, look, you were right. They're a playoff team with Dak Prescott. But they're not a Super Bowl team whatsoever with yeah. Dak Prescott. That's their yeah. problem. And, yeah, I, look, it's not about making the playoffs every year. It's about winning the Super Bowl, especially when you're Jerry Jones. It is about winning Super Bowls. And – Look, it's just not happening, and things need to change, and I think Dak is the obvious change there. Yeah. What do you think the Cowboys would do otherwise if they were to not re-sign him? I I don't know because his trade value is at a career low, but maybe, maybe like Trey Lance could be an option. Trading for yeah. Trey Lance. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah, Lamar's an option. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It, it's like there's not a ton of solutions for this problem. I just think that committing to Dak Prescott long-term is just a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, definitely signing him now and to long-term is definitely it, – it's not a bad option. I don't think it's a bad option. It's a pretty safe option. I think for what the Cowboys is, you're you're choosing between consistency and betting on being an amazing team. You're, you're, those are kind of your two options here. And, you know, if they get rid of Dak and things don't work out, let's say they, they kind of fall into like a draft a quarterback first round kind of team, then they're going to look like idiots for not uh, re-signing Dak. Because Dak has already kind of proven himself as a playoff player, but like you're right, or like you said, they're they're not a Super Bowl team with Dak Prescott. Yeah, I I don't know. It it confuses me just a lot of the moves the Cowboys are making. I am interested to see uh, what happens with their offensive coordinator situation. I don't know. I don't think I've seen anything about them signing a new one, so we'll have to look out for that. But um, that kind of brings us to. One of the other things in here, uh, actually, I might have talked about it. Actually, no, I did. I, I talked about it on the um, the episode on Wednesday that Kellen Moore uh, is not returning to the Cowboys and will be the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. But I think that leaves uh, even more questions with you know what's going to happen with this offense uh, for the Cowboys. Yeah, the Cowboys are losing a good, really good coordinator in Kellen Moore, so it will it will be interesting. Yeah. Next thing, 
The Commanders are interviewing 49ers assistant head coach and former Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn for their offensive coordinator job. I think this is a great move. I think Anthony Lynn kind of got screwed in uh, with the Chargers. I know they were looking for a bit of a change of scenery, but I think that Anthony Lynn still has an opportunity to be a head coach again in this league. But being an offensive coordinator is kind of the next step. Uh, you know, rebuilding your job is what you need to do. Yeah, and Anthony Lynn, I, I actually completely agree with you. He did get a pretty bad rap, you know, um, with the Chargers. Uh, uh, the Chargers team that he oversaw was the one that had, like, Melvin Gordon, uh, Phillip Rivers was still on it, right? Like, he was a part of that kind of era? Um, Maybe. I think... Uh, that sounds right. I, I believe he got there like, or I think he left like two or, or three years ago. Yeah, here I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real quick of when he was the head coach. Yeah, head coach from 2017 to 2020. So, yeah, Anthony Lynn saw a awesome offense with the Chargers. Of course, he wasn't really able to do anything with it, but they were you know highly productive when they were good. And I definitely would like to see him still in the league, and I think it'd be great for the commanders to get a guy like him on because, I mean, he's proved his offenses are great. Yeah, for sure. All right, next thing, uh, just kind of a, a fun fact that I didn't really add to the Tom Brady stuff I put in the news here. Uh, Tom Brady's retirement leaves us with no active players from the NFL Street games. That's a tough one, man. Dude, NFL Street is so cool. All this, all the like, do you remember? Uh, mine, my remember the one I remember the most is NBA Street. Those games were awesome, but yep. NFL was so much fun. I never played any of the NFL Street games, but I've seen clips of just where, like, you know, the tackles are like, you know, just like <laughs> breaking the guy's leg or something like that. Just, I don't know, they're just fun, yeah, dude. But that's a tough one. It's kind of uh, – I think that we've run into that same thing with uh, backyard baseball. I'm pretty sure that Pujols was the last active, um, and now he's obviously retired. So the games of our childhood, the players are yeah. leaving. Getting older, man. All right, we get to the crime segment now. Yeah, true no, crime. No more laughs. About to get all the white bitches up in here on this podcast. Yes. Everybody that has ever listened to uh, what, what's the big one? Serial is that the true crime podcast? I think it is something like that. Yeah, all of your listeners from Serial, just come listen to these two things. I have zero yeah. details. We're not going to go into detail. We're not going to really comment on any of this. But true crime. Eagles offensive lineman Josh Sills indicted on rape and kidnapping charges. What the fuck? Yeah, right before the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I like I saw this headline and I was like, what in the like what in the hell happened? It's very weird. Um it, it must have happened in Ohio. Uh, is what I'm seeing. They're saying that the incident occurred in December of twenty nineteen. Um and what the indictment said is that he engaged in sexual activity that was not consensual and held the victim against her will. Um, yeah, this is horrible. Uh, there's really nothing else to say. 
And he was actually, I, I didn't really even realize this. He was still in college at the time of this. He was at West Virginia. Yes. And um, the, the alleged victim, um, her and Sills had known each other since high school. And Sills was supposed to drop the woman and her friend off at her cousin's house. And she was staying there at the time. Uh, when she arrived, um, she attempted to leave the vehicle till her friend or with her friend. And then, um, Sills grabbed her by the arm, pulled her back into the truck. And then, um, I'm not going to get into the, the rest of the details I'm reading ahead and I don't feel comfortable reading off all that stuff, but yeah, this is undoubtedly, uh, horrible, uh, if, you know, uh, obviously it's all alleged, but, you know, if all of this is true, Josh Sills is the scum of the earth. Yep. For sure. Definitely, you know, if it's true, does not deserve to be playing in the Super Bowl or really have any freedom. <laughs> yeah, I believe he um, got put on the, uh, some, I can't remember what the exact list is, but he's, Prime list. he's not going to, well, yes, um, <laughs> but he's not going to play in the Super Bowl. Dang. I mean, that... That does suck for him, but you know, like we just said, if if all this is true, then yeah, it doesn't you deserve really suck it for him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, next and and last piece of uh, just criminal happenings. Um, <laughs> this one came out like we were about to start recording, and we both saw this news. Um, Joe Mixon has a warrant out for his arrest for one count of aggregate aggravated menacing uh this charge comes from uh, him allegedly pointing a gun at a woman and he is quoted as saying you should be popped in the face i should shoot you right now the police can get me have you lost yeah. your goddamn mind joe mixon <laughs> i mean not not to joke about you know this because it is serious but it's that afc north energy man it's just a bunch of convicts in the afc north dude it's i can't believe that <laughs> like what the fuck could possibly make you do that and i can say that because i'm an afc north fan by the way i'm not just like talking shit it, it's just i don't know that's that's an insane allegation and the fact that they even got the quote in there too that's i mean that's ugh, that doesn't look too good <laughs> yeah it's wild and yeah. obviously there's so much more to be uh heard about uh, you know the warrant is still out for his arrest so uh i assume he would be smart and turn himself in um but uh a reporter reached out to um joe mixon uh, asking for a comment on the warrant and his mom answered and said did he do it no he didn't um she uh this this doesn't have a ton of information in this tweet but um his mom referenced the term uh, money hungry and said that you guys as in the uh reporters know joe mixon and then hung up so obviously we'll see as this unfolds, but at the moment, from what we know, this is just inexcusable behavior. Just like what happened with Josh Sills, this is inexcusable behavior. It doesn't matter who you do it to, who they are, what you did. Like things like this are inexcusable. You cannot do that. 
Yeah, come on, Joe Mixon. All right. Enough of that. Let us know if we should do more crime. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we handled ourselves very well there by totally (laughs) not being biased and being completely objective with the facts. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about some fun stuff, specifically fun. Aaron Rodgers was quoted saying, Nathaniel Hackett is my guy. He made it fun. Obviously referencing football. Um, This just makes me think Rodgers to the Jets. Do you really, though? I want it to happen more than I think it's going to happen. I think it's a likely destination for him. I don't think that him and the Packers are working out. He's going to leave. And I know that, you know, everybody thought Hackett was bait when the Broncos uh, picked him up as their coach. But now that is over, obviously, for good reason. But I just, I do think that now Rodgers is actually ready to leave. There's no unfinished business. I think the Jets are a great destination. I think once again, Nathaniel Hackett is being used as Aaron Rodgers' bait. Yeah. Um, you know, it's out of the conference too. So, you know, that's a plus. Is I, I know Rodgers still has respect for Green Bay and that organization. So I'm sure you know, if he was to move, he'd want to go to a team in the AFC. And yeah, it is bait because not only did they hire Nathaniel Hackett, they also hired him not as a head coach. He's back to his offensive coordinator role that he excelled at in Green Bay with Rodgers before. I, yeah, I think it's a great move for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. <laughs> it would tremendously help out this Jets team with how close they were last year. And it was all down to quarterback play. So yeah. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets would be phenomenal. Think of Garrett Wilson with Aaron Rodgers, dude. Oh, I goodness. can't wait. And a healthy Brees Hall. Healthy Brees Hall. They still they got James Robinson in the trade. That's a that's a good offense with Aaron Rodgers, man. Oh yeah. All right. Little uh, a little drama happening in San Francisco. 49ers safety Jimmy Ward said that he went to talk to Kyle Shanahan after the Chiefs game. Told him he didn't want to play nickel anymore. Fair. You know what? Whatever. Shanahan responds, Do you want to ride the bench? I pretty good response it's a great response and yeah. look Shanahan's the guy that makes the decisions he's the head coach I just I don't get it uh, why I get why Jimmy Ward wants to voice his opinions of course but it's obvious look he played great this season but just play nickel you played Literally. great there all season yeah and it's not like you can it's not like it's an opinion where you know um the team is the defense is struggling it's not one of those i i think uh i think uh kyle shanahan knows a thing or two about defense with what we saw this season and yeah do you want to ride the bench is a perfect response <laughs> yeah and like the thing is is i i, I assume that part of that is fueled by D'Amico Ryan's now leaving and going to the Texans to be their head coach that, you know, he wants things to change. I get that. But I I feel like this is not the time. Look, the 49ers defense was fantastic all season, and Jimmy Ward was a big part of it. 
just let it be. Even as long as you wait until you actually have a defensive coordinator, like figure some things out. Go to like OTAs and figure this out. Don't do this the day, like just hours after your game. Yeah, where emotions are running high, and I'm sure like you know the other side of it is like, do you want to ride the bench to a player that is you know voicing his opinion? It, it's a little bit fucked up, it, just a little bit, <laughs> and. But it's just, yeah, there, there's a time and a place to ask questions like this. Not after your defense just let up 31 against the Eagles and aren't going to the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, very poor timing from Jimmy Ward. And, I mean, Kyle Shanahan honestly has every right to respond like that, taking the time and the place into account. And, yeah, just wait. Yeah, uh, I think nickel. <laughs> you should respect Kyle Shanahan a little bit more. A little bit, yeah. All right. Next little bit of news. This has to do with the draft a little bit, which gets me excited. Oh, yeah. The expectation from the Bears is that Justin Fields will remain the starting quarterback and the team will try to trade the number one overall pick. So I've been saying since they got the number one overall pick that they should trade it. Um, I got a feeling the Colts are kind of the most likely uh, move there. But there's some other teams that could pop in. Maybe the Seahawks want to go quarterback. Maybe the Raiders want to try and trade up. Uh, I mean, I think you could even see the Broncos trying to get aggressive and, you know, be in panic mode and try to trade up because <laughs> they don't have one. I don't think so. Just with how much money's tied up in Russ, you can't really go for a quarterback. That is true. Uh, I could see maybe the Buccaneers trying something. Maybe the Panthers. But yep. we'll just have to see. Look, we're not we're not GMs for a reason. Exactly. They'll figure something out. Exactly. But I yeah, I, Justin Fields definitely deserves it. Though. Yes. The, the Bears should not draft another quarterback. But exactly. I actually kind of disagree with you. I think they should keep the number one overall pick and take defense. I mean, you just traded Roquan Smith away. Of course, you know, trading the number one overall pick. I mean, there there's probably endless amounts as to what you could get. You know, trading. I don't know. I, I kind of like, you know, just drafting somebody. Yeah, that's why I like trading with the Colts here. Because when it comes to the top four, obviously at number two, the Texans want a quarterback. And yeah. then at number three, you have the Cardinals. They're going to go defense. And then the Colts are at four. They're going to go quarterback. So if you trade with the Colts, just let the Cardinals pick whichever one of the top two. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, whichever one, let them have it. I'd probably wait to do this trade after the combine. Maybe one of those guys emerges as a better option than the other. But with J.J. Watt retiring, the Cardinals need to replace him. It kind of only seems right to go with a, a true lineman. Uh, I see Will Anderson as a little more of like an outside linebacker, pass rusher. Um. I think you get Jalen Carter if you're the Cardinals. And I think Will Anderson fits very well for the Bears. So I think that, you know, either way, they're great defensive players. I think that in that order, they fit the best with their teams. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, do you think the Bears would uh, would acquire? Do you think they should trade for? I, I It'll probably because it's just a top four swap, 
it probably won't be much, but they could maybe try and pry a player out of them, but I think they'll just maybe try and get like a second round pick out of them. Yeah. All right. A little bit of coaching news. The Texans are requesting to interview 49ers passing game coordinator Bobby Slowick for their vacant OC job uh, to coach under D'Amico Ryans. And Slovic was uh, very impressive. Obviously, their passing game was a big part of this offense. You know, coaching through three different starting quarterbacks is extremely impressive. And as the passing game coordinator, Bobby Slovic did a great job. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of strange thinking of like it seems like all of the guys who come out in like the coaching world have to know or be acquainted with one of the top coaches of like, you know, like either the last generation or like the current generation but older. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I think the reason that Tomlin got his job is Tony Dungy completely vouched for him on the Buccaneers. Tony Dungy was the head coach of that Super Bowl winning team. And, you know, sure enough, Tomlin ended up with the Steelers. Um, and, you know, you have other guys like Brian Flores and Matt Patricia coming under the Bill Belichick tree. They've both kind of, you know, spread out and done their own thing. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And who knows, maybe this slow it guy, I've never heard of him before, but who knows, maybe he could be like the next young coach of the league from the Kyle Shanahan tree. Yeah, we'll have to see because this Shanahan tree goes deep, man. Uh, obviously Shanahan wasn't the head coach on this team, but that Redskins team where, what it was, it was McVay, LaFleur, and Shanahan, as well as Mike McDaniel, all coaching under, uh, Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad. Oh, wow. A lot of coaches. I never knew that. Yeah. And if we want to talk coaching trees, man, don't get me and Brock started on Nick Saban's because it is ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, lord yeah all right two more things uh nick bosa had a little funny quote he was uh talking to the the press uh and one of the um one of the reporters asked him about hurts versus mahomes in the in the super bowl and nick bosa with an extremely warranted answer said that'll be a good battle that I won't be watching. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Nick Bosa for that response. <laughs> yeah. I think that it should be a little bit more implied that if you lose in the NFC Championship game, you probably don't want to watch the Super Bowl. No. No, not at all. Um, I don't blame him at all. I mean, he's going to miss out on an awesome halftime show, though. That's, That's what true. I'm looking forward to. I, I haven't so really... I. Kind of in the same boat. I'm not really... Um, I'm not really that into the Super Bowl, you know, and the Steelers aren't in it. I'll watch it, but I, if I'm not really at, like, a Super Bowl party, I'm not really going to be, you know, paying attention to the game. And even if I'm at a Super Bowl party, I'm just going to be kind of, you know, partying. Of course, I love football, don't get me wrong. But I am that petty Steelers fan. <laughs> so, yeah, I haven't. I don't really pay attention to the Super Bowl much either. Yeah, and before we get to this last piece, uh, I did see something earlier today about the other Bosa brother, uh, Joey, obviously, um, the entire internet saw the videos of the Eagles fans heckling him and their stupid oh, yeah. Philly accent, you know, yep. Bosa, Bosa, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that video is hilarious, oh, yeah. but, uh, Max Crosby, uh, 
Uh, I believe he was on Bussin' with the Boys um, the other day. Maybe it was today's episode. And he called Joey Bosa a crybaby for complaining about the refs and the offensive line holding him. Uh, The quote is, shit like that is so weak to me. You're going to get held. I get held all the time, but I'm not going to double down and look like a fucking crybaby. I love Max Crosby, first off. Me too. Uh, And, I mean, I get it. You know, defensive players kind of have to have, like, an edge. You you really can't show any weakness. Like, yeah, quarterbacks bitching about calls. Receivers bitch about calls all the time. If you're a defensive player, I I think it's a little bit kind of like, ah, just, you know, shut up. Everybody gets held. So, I don't know. What do you think, Grayson? Yeah, no, I agree. I think Joey Bosa needs to stop being a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. You are a giant human being, one of the yeah. best pass rushers in the in the NFL, and you're complaining because you're getting held as if every other guy who's also rushing the quarterback isn't getting held? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, get over yourself. And, yeah, I get it. The refs are tough. Sometimes they make good calls. Sometimes they don't. It's called being human. Guess what? You have good games, and you also have bad games all the time. That is true. It's true. So, yeah, Nick Bosa, just just put your head down and just get to the quarterback, man. Come on. Yeah, maybe Joey Bosa <laughs> should take some notes from his brother and try and win a defensive player of the year or something. Oh. <laughs> well, that you think that'll ever happen? You think Joey Bosa is a future defensive player of the year? He's got the ability. Uh, if he'd stop being a bitch, maybe he <laughs> Okay. All right. Lamar Jackson. What's going on with Lamar Jackson, Grayson? All right. Ian Rappaport goes Uh, on the Pat McAfee show, as he does all the time. Is he really? Yeah. Ian Rappaport loves to call into the Pat McAfee show. That's cool. I love Ian Rappaport. He's he's, for some reason become like Pat McAfee's reporter. That's hilarious. And, uh, He said, my sense is that Lamar Jackson will get the exclusive franchise tag from the Baltimore Ravens. Yes. Why do you you want that to happen? No. No, I don't. (laughs) And, you know, I think all of us Steelers fans don't want it to happen. But um, I kind of more so don't want it to happen just because I think that would be so cool if he hit the free agency. That would be so much fun. Be yeah. in- incredibly entertaining to see. I know. I don't like. And the thing is, is if they do hit him with the exclusive franchise tag, he might just hold out. Yeah. If he doesn't want to be there, he'll just say, "Fuck it, I'm not going to show up." You don't. You can't make me. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation with him because um, I, I don't think we ever mentioned this on the podcast, but. Um, before the Bengals uh, and Ravens uh, playoff game, Lamar, like it kind of seemed like he had finally broke silence and he was like, I really wish I could be out there with my, with my brothers and, you know, saying stuff about the Ravens fans too. So it's super interesting the way that this is, you know, kind of played out. And you and I, even on the podcast, were kind of doubting his knee injury even. Yeah. And, you know, kind of thought that he may have been milking it to not play and to, you know, gain more leverage, uh, you know, with his contract that way. But I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what, what um, happens with him. Yeah. Like I said earlier, you know, I want him in Atlanta. And obviously the franchise tag would 
completely kill that idea. But I just think that at this point, you know, I have a feeling Lamar will kind of decide on this, which, you know, it's not really his choice completely. But I want to see who they hire as their offensive coordinator first. Because if they hire a guy, like, I really like the option of hiring Todd Munkin, the Georgia offensive coordinator. I think he would work very well. He's run very pass-heavy offense, or sorry, very run-heavy offenses that still incorporate uh, long passes, uh, deep throws. But having a dual-threat quarterback like Lamar Jackson is something a little bit more new for Todd Munkin. He's run offenses with Stetson Bennett and Jake Fromm, which, you know, they are like the furthest thing from Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how Todd Munkin can adjust. adjust but if I, if I think anybody can do it, it would be a coach from a top college team. Of course, you know, Stetson isn't a running quarterback, but, you know, he can scramble and sometimes he is in run design plays. And I think – I think Todd Munkin, um, he would be a perfect fit for Lamar Jackson because I could definitely see Todd Munkin kind of, you know, expanding his playbook into more of like a quarterback heavy run. And I think it could work well in Baltimore, but that's if that happens. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to see. I think this Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson saga is most definitely not over. That's for sure. But um, it'll be probably the the top headline of the whole offseason. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I was going to make another comment on uh, the rave. Oh, and, you know, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. Baltimore, the way that their offense is set up, it is set up in a way where they should their, their front office should be completely terrified right now of what's going on with Lamar Jackson because, like, like we talked about before we started recording, if they do end up losing Lamar. Tyler Huntley has proven he can be probably in around a 500 team at the best, you know, maybe a little bit below 500 team if he was the, uh, you know, day one starter. But Baltimore would be fucked without Lamar. Yeah. And I, I think they're probably going to do everything they can to get that exclusive franchise tag that Ian Rappaport's talking about. So it, it makes sense that Baltimore will do everything that they can, but, you know, you got to worry about cap room because we just saw Roquan get paid. So, I, I don't know. It, just a super interesting situation in Baltimore. Yep, for sure. And, and, of course, we'll keep you all updated on that. But let's talk some MLB. Uh, my boy, Colin, put together a little prospect list for me. Some guys that are either starting their first full year in the league or just guys that he thinks might come up this season. And... We'll start it off, uh, a catching prospect who recently was traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks, Gabriel Moreno. He was pretty good in his appearances in the major leagues. Um, Not great, but 25 games played. He batted 319, got himself uh, a home run, one double. But when it comes to him, he is... Obviously a great bat. Solid defense behind the plate. He just didn't really have a spot in Toronto with the emergence of Alejandro Kirk. And I think that he could do great things in Arizona. Uh, He is a high-graded type of prospect. He, you know, now that he's spent a little bit of time in the league, 
not really considered a prospect anymore, but nonetheless, a, a guy that people should be excited to watch come up. Yeah, I, I know nothing about these people. <laughs> That's fair. It's fair. Hey, and yeah. with some of the other prospects, I'll have a little more information on them. But um, let's go ahead and get into the next one. Uh, Yuri Perez, um, right-handed pitcher from the Marlins. Right now, he's in Double A. Uh, he'll most likely move up to Triple A, probably after spring training. He'll make some spring training appearances, but he's graded right now at a sixty. Like I told you, Luke, uh, it's out of eighty. But all around, he's graded at a sixty, a seventy fastball, seventy changeup, um, and you know, out of the Dominican Republic, he got signed in twenty nineteen. He was only. Uh, what that was four years ago. He was a 15 year old, um, and he's added four inches to his height and 45 pounds. And I think that you know doing that is gonna make a huge difference for him as he continues to develop. He's only 19 years old. I am less than a month older than this guy, which scares me. But uh, nonetheless, the guy throws heat. His fastball sitting at 94, 97, peaks at 100. Mm. And it plays even better than its velocity because it's got some solid vertical break and, and it has a little bit of arm side run. So the fastball is flames. And then he's got an <laughs> upper 80s changeup that's nasty. Uh, a 61% swing and miss rate on that changeup. Ridiculous. And um, upper 70s curveball. Mid 80s slider that it, it does need a little bit of work, both of those pitches. But I think if he can get his control up a little bit as he's moving up, once he hits the league, he's going to be a fantastic piece for the Marlins. Hey, he sounds like a little badass. Oh, yeah, dude. And last season, uh, let's see, 2022, he uh, was in single A and double A, but in double A, he was. Three wins, three losses, a 4.08 ERA, which isn't fantastic, but 17 starts is great. Uh, looking at a hits per nine innings of 7.4, only giving up 1.1 home runs per nine, and a strikeouts per nine of 12.7, that's some fantastic stuff. Yeah. I mean, he sounds awesome. <clears throat> All right. Let's get to a guy that I – absolutely love and I know Colin loves him that's why I put him on this list is Corbin Carroll 21 years old uh coming up with the Diamondbacks the second Diamondback of the list and he got 32 games in the majors last year batted 260 so a little bit lower than what we expect from a guy who in the minors spent a little bit of time it um in rookie ball last year literally had played two games in rookie ball and then they moved him up because in those two games, he had six at bats, three hits, two runs, one home run. He also got walked twice and then goes to Amarillo straight up to double a from rookie a plays 58 games. There bats three thirteen. Dang. Hits himself 16 home runs in 58 games, 39 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, and all of a sudden, 
Corbin Carroll finds himself in AAA, his third move up in 2022. And he, you know, the, the stats lowered a little bit. The difference between AA and AAA is tremendous. But nonetheless, 287, seven home runs, 22 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. This guy looks unstoppable. And that's why he comes in at the number two prospect in these MLB preseason prospect rankings. A 65-hit tool, an 80-run tool, so he's just got wheels. He's smart on the bases. He doesn't get caught stealing much. He is ridiculous. And then he plays center field as good as anybody. He's got a 30.7 feet per second average sprint speed, which which would be at the top of the big leagues and um, his 31 bolts. So uh, bolts are uh, runs at 30 plus feet per second. We're second most on the Arizona roster last season. And that was for the entire season in which he only played 30. So games, the guy's got speed out the wazoo. (laughs) This guy sounds insane. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that I I don't know if this is kind of, you know, I, I like this segment where a non-baseball fan can ask you questions, but it's just something I'm interested in. So you said that he moved up three times in one season, right? Yes. How hard is that for a player? And I, I'm sure that speaks, you know, at least just, you know, from a non-baseball fan listening to you talk, that I feel like is a is another testament to how good this kid probably is, is moving up three times in one season. All those changes, you know, with like the city and, you know, the biggest one obviously being the level of talent, but that's got to say a lot to his, you know, career and you know where he's at right I mean plus that's not that difficult for baseball players to move up like that no it, it it's something that it happens but it's only really for the like the young guys that are really like the best of the best and gotcha. when it comes down to it so in 2021 he was in the uh what they call a plus or advanced a uh and he played great only got to play seven games in 2021. Uh, I believe it was because of injury. So they dropped him back down to rookie ball just to start the season in 2022, which is in Arizona, and played the two games. Then, after two games, uh, the hardest part about moving up so much is traveling and finding a new place to stay. Look, these guys don't get paid what major league players get paid. A lot of these dudes... You know, there's host families that will host major or uh, minor league players. There's, you know, guys that like five guys sharing a two bedroom apartment. That happens a lot in the minor leagues, especially the lower levels. And he moves up to double A in Amarillo. So he goes from Phoenix to Amarillo, plays 58 games, then has to go to Reno to play triple A. And that's just hard, especially on a young player. Corbin Carroll is only 22 years old, and he just moved three times within a matter of months. And was able to keep up that awesome, you know, play. Yeah. On the baseball field, on the baseball diamond. Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. It's very impressive. And. Luckily, he didn't have to spend any time in advance day in 2022 or he would have moved to Oregon and then back down. But um, nonetheless, the guy is phenomenal. And 
from what we've already seen of him in the big leagues, he's going to be great. But watching him over 162 games is going to be fantastic, and I cannot wait. And that brings me to my next guy, a guy that I've been waiting for since he was in high school, honestly. Uh, I knew of him because he's a a pretty local guy. Jordan Walker uh, from Stone Mountain, Georgia, went to Decatur High School. I knew he hit bombs. That was kind of the big deal. And he was picked 21st overall by the Cardinals in the 2020 draft. And it's kind of just been a matter of time. Um, Before the 2022 season, he ranked at number 30 in the Major League Baseball prospect list. Now he comes in at number four, uh, outfielder slash third baseman. But, you know... He's probably a little more of a third base, first base kind of guy to me. He's in double A right now, and the guy's just got power. That's 100% his biggest thing. 119 games played last year in Springfield, um, and that's double uh, A for the Cardinals. 306 batting average. A 510 slugging, an 898 OPS. That's pretty solid. 235 total bases. He had 141 hits, 100 runs, 31 doubles, 19 home runs, 68 RBIs, and got himself 22 stolen bases. So not only is the power there and just the extra base hit ability, but he can run too. In what's crazy is that he was only graded at a 50 run, and for him to have accumulated that many stolen bases in 119 games is crazy. So you got to give props to him. He's a, a big power guy. Of course, he's got the arm. If you put him in the corner outfields, he can throw absolute missiles from there. But you know, getting to a little advanced metrics. Uh- his 20-year-old season in double-A last year, he had a WRC plus of 128. That's weighted run, or uh, I I got to make sure I got this right. I believe that's weighted runs created plus. Anything that's plus means that 100 is the, ML, or the league average, and so it's scaled on that scale. He got a 128. 28 points above league average in any uh, plus statistic is phenomenal and look that's just how jordan walker is he uh just to give you an idea of the cannon he has in the outfield uh he threw a ball 99.5 miles per hour (laughs) sorry that's um that's wicked fast i'm just still stuck on his like him getting graded 50 you said he had how many stolen bases 22 yes it's wild yeah, the 50 is pretty low because you said it's out of 80, right? Yeah, it is. And, and you don't see a ton of top guys get 50s other than, you know, like the big power bats that aren't fast. They'll typically get a 50 in the run or maybe a guy who's, you know, hit first, doesn't play great defense. But look, Jordan Walker, obviously, uh, and, and he's not like particularly fast. I think it's his IQ on the bases. I think that he is just ridiculously smart when it comes to playing the game of baseball. I mean, it sounds like it. Um, 
that's just, I, don't know, I think that's something that we're going to see a little bit more in the MLB is a lot of the power hitters that are also fast. I, I, I don't know. I, I could see a lot more athletes coming to the MLB instead of kind of like your one dimensional guys. Yeah, for sure. And this brings me to uh, another guy who went to high school in Georgia, Taj Bradley. Uh, right-handed pitcher for the Rays, 21 years old, going on 22 in March. Uh, he played high school in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Well, and, is the other guy? Uh, Jordan Walker was from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, he played. Oh, you said that. Okay, that's yeah. right. My bad. My bad. And look, Taj Bradley is a quickly emerging pitching prospect for a Rays team that has been full of prospects for years. You know, Wander Franco has come up, of course. But guys like Josh Lowe that came up last year, Vidal Brujan, who hasn't quite worked out, but still one of the top prospects. Let's just, you know, sit and see. Is Taj Bradley going to be that guy? I think he's got the potential. Look, he is a little bit more of um, a little less of a strikeout guy than the Yuri Perez, the other pitcher we've talked about already. Uh, in 2022, in his time in AAA uh, with the Durham Bulls, he only put up, he had a 8.1 strikeouts per nine, uh, a total of 53 strikeouts, but he limits the runs a little bit better than most. A, a 3.66 ERA is not great by any means, but I think what he excels at is, um, oh, sorry, longevity. Uh, 12 games, 12 games started 59 innings pitched. That means he's going, you know, at least five and in the minors, that's relatively good. Um, you don't see a ton of guys putting those numbers up. So I am definitely interested to see with Todd Bradley. I think he's still a work in progress. Uh, I think that he'll probably pitch a majority of this coming season in AAA, get him some more experience. But if we see, you know, a string of good performances from him, don't be surprised if he's pitching for the Rays. Uh, damn Rays. Not a, not a big fan of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to a guy that I know a little bit about, Daniel Espino, uh, Guardians right-handed pitching prospect. <clears throat> oh, uh, the kid has been fantastic. Uh, he's out of Panama, but uh, played at the uh, Georgia Premier Academy in Statesboro, Georgia. Wow. Before going to the 2019 draft where he was drafted 24th overall by the then Cleveland Indians. And he's just jumped up boards every year. Uh, baseball Prospectus had him in 2021. So before the season in 2021, he was number 100 in their list. Before 2022, he was number 43. And now before 2023, he's number 25 on Baseball Prospectus's list. But MLB rankings-wise, this season he's number 16. A guy that he needs all the attention. Because he looks great. And the big thing here is the fastball. An 80-graded fastball. You don't oh. see that much. He sits around 95 to 98. Guess what he tops out at, Luke? Just a little easy 103 on the yeah. four-seamer. 
with a ton of arm side run. He can use it up in the zone, and he can use it low in the zone. Like, he's ridiculous. And he's got a good feel for his slider. Sits in the mid-80s, increased depth, but he can reach 93 on the slider and get some more horizontal action on it. He's ridiculous. I like a lot of the... um... Uh, the fast throwing off speed guys like I know Garrett Cole I want to say um either last season or the season before didn't he throw like a 91 mile per hour change up or something ridiculous like that yeah I think the one that stands out the most to me is at least Jacob deGrom you know he sits mid mid 90s on the slider and you know 100 to 104 or 100 to 103 on the fastball yeah it, that's scary, man. And, yeah. you know, good thing for the Guardians. They've got a good thing going. A lot of solid prospects are coming up for the Guardians. And, you know, they've obviously they made the playoffs. They won their division last year. If Espino, I could definitely see Espino coming up right now, spending some time in Akron with the Rubber Ducks. But Ooh. could definitely move up on my list. All right. We're getting there. D.O. Hall, not a surprise, another Georgia guy, this time out of Valdosta. <laughs> He's a uh, – <laughs> it's just cracking me up how many Georgia guys are on here. But, yeah, D.O. Hall, left-handed pitcher for the Orioles. And Ooh. 2017 draft pick, so it's taken him some time. He's already 24 years old, but – the upside here with D.L. Hall is fantastic. Though he's kind of sat a little bit lower on prospect lists throughout his time in the minors, he's been great. And he just needs a little bit more in the minors for me to feel like he's ready to come up. A 5.93 ERA at the major league level was tough. It was very tough to see. In 2022, he spent time in Advanced A in Aberdeen. He spent time in Bowie in Double A. Then in Norfolk, Illinois in Triple A. And then at the major league level, he played 11 games. And he, I personally don't think... I would have pulled him up to the majors. I know that uh, it was kind of a matter of let's see what he can do, but AAA, an ERA of 4.7 in 22 games, and in AA, an ERA of 4.9, though it was only one game, I don't feel good about those numbers. It's not a guy that I'd be ready to pull up. We need to see think- more. Do you think pulling up guys early, kind of like in the NFL, you know, like your day one rookie starters, do you think that can hurt? Uh, careers in MLB or is it kind of like there's so much moving around that it doesn't really matter to kind of test out a player like that I think it definitely can hurt um it's a confidence thing and if you're you know whether you think you're ready or not you're not going to know until you step up on that mound and throw a ball and look D.L. Hall coming out of high school he was one of the best lefties in that draft class and he got taken twenty one or twenty first overall, but his his control is the question here. He's got a solid fastball. They graded it at a sixty five, and 
he's tu- he touches triple digits, primarily averaging around 96, but the changeup is solid. And um, I just think that the control is where he screws himself over. He he walks a little bit too much uh, in those 24 games uh, across the or sorry yeah the 24 games he pitched in across 2022 he walked 50 batters. That's uh, you don't want that happen. The walks per nine. Um, in AAA last season was a 5.8. That just simply cannot be the case. And he he just needs better results. Work on the control. Maybe even slow down. You don't have to throw as hard as you can if you can't control it. It's something that the greatest pitchers of all time have had to deal with. Randy Johnson, you know, he had bad control, so he kept you know, throwing his arm out, trying to blow it by people. And then, you know, all of a sudden he gets it to work. Same with Nolan Ryan. Both of those guys had control issues. But I think with D.L. Hall, his issue here is that it's not like he's just barely missing the mark. He's His control issues come in high-pressure situations. And that's where he needs to work on it. Kind of, to me, it kind of sounds like a Roldis Chapman. I mean, there there was nothing worse as a Yankees fan to see our Roldis Chapman start to slip because when he started to slip, it was, I mean, horrible. <laughs> and I don't know, is that is that kind of like a common theme with a lot of the hard throwing, you know, pitchers? Is that they they seem to, you know, when they're rattled or they're they're starting to lose control, that it's just way worse. Yeah, it is. Um, that's kind of the the toll that comes with throwing a ball so goddamn hard is so much of your body's mechanics go into throwing the ball of course but if if the accuracy isn't there it doesn't matter and it's hard to be accurate when you're putting so much pressure on your body to perform so yeah, it, it is a normal problem. Aroldis Chapman is a great example of it. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen the sports science on Aroldis Chapman before? I'm sure I have. I don't remember it too well. It, it just kind of it just kind of goes into um, a lot of the pitchers that you've mentioned on this list, and it's just crazy to see how fast the game is growing. But I remember this this sports science came out when Aroldis was on the Reds, and I don't know the exact years, but obviously that would have been a while ago, right? And he actually made the comment that Aroldis Chapman might be the hardest throwing human that's ever lived. And and this, like I said, was when he was on the Reds. Wow. Now you're talking about all these podcasts. I, I want to say every pitcher you mentioned on this list can hit triple digits. And uh, that's just kind of, it, it's just crazy to see how the game is growing, especially pitcher, you know, wise, all of them can throw hard. It seems like these days. Yeah. It, it's because of how the game has changed. Like you said, we see guys like Jacob deGrom and even Spencer Strider coming up. Now he consists like they can consistently throw a hundred miles per hour over the course of seven innings. And so guys are like, building their bodies to withstand that unlike guys did in the past you know guys like greg maddox one of the best pitchers of all time he barely hit mid 90s he was just a finesse guy but 
you know, it's power over everything on the pitching and hitting side in baseball. And look, if you throw in a hundred and the guy's swinging and missing, you're going to look real good. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the next guy. Ellie De La Cruz, a uh, kind of a utility infielder, but primarily a shortstop in the uh, Cincinnati Reds minor leagues. He's 21 years old out of the Dominican Republic. And, the guy is just awesome. He's got a bit of an Oño Cruz build when it comes to his size, 6'5", 200 at the shortstop position. Wow. Yeah, a, a, a true giant. But <laughs> the kid's solid. Uh, a 20, or a, sorry, a 60 power grade, a 70 run grade. He's got the wheels. He's got the arm, a 60 grade there as well. And it's just kind of a matter of when. They're saying he's coming up this season, and this would be a great time. The Reds suck. Uh, <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. They are bad. But Ellie De La Cruz really proved himself when it came to this past season in the minors. In 2022, he spent time uh, in uh, Advanced A and Double A. Now he's made the jump to Triple A uh, in the offseason. So he'll start the season in Triple A, but... With the Chattanooga Lookouts, a, a team that's rather accessible to me and Luke. He I, I've played, been to one of those games. I've, I've been to a, a few now. I love it. He batted three oh five in uh, in 47 games, a nine ten OPS. He hit eight homers, which, you know, isn't much, but he's not a big power guy. It, it's the, the 17 doubles, uh, 19 stolen bases, 16 walks. He struck out 64 times, a little bit high on the strikeout numbers, but still batting over 300 with those strikeout numbers is ridiculously good. Yeah, I, I just can't get over 6-5 at shortstop. I don't know. Is that something that as like a scout you would want to look for? No. I, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I'm sure you could argue, you know, he can cover a lot of area. I mean, he's 6-5. He can go vertical. I'm sure he can dive. But like I, I don't know, that's just not that's not what shortstops usually look like. Yeah, it's not. And you know, we're starting to see it a little bit more. Guys like Oño Cruz, he came up, but now they don't want to play him at shortstop in Pittsburgh. They're playing him a little bit more in the corner infield, mainly at first base. And look, the kid can chuck across the field. He yeah. can I'm pretty sure he hit in the hundreds uh across the diamond, but He's inaccurate. It's just like what happens with the flame throwing pitchers. They get inaccurate and it just happens. Hopefully that can't that won't be the case. But last year uh in 2022 he had a, a, a fair amount of errors and that's just not what we want to see whatsoever. But Regardless, I think Ellie De La Cruz will come up this season. I think he'll be fantastic. And just to talk about like the strides he's made. So the pre twenty twenty or sorry, the pre twenty twenty two major league baseball prospect list had him listed at number seventy six. Now, going into twenty twenty three, he's ranked number ten. That wow. is a huge jump for Ellie De La Cruz, and I can't wait to see him come up. I got a feeling it'll be this year. Yeah, a 6'5 shortstop. That's, I mean, I can't wait either. Of course, 
you know, I'm, I'm not into the prospects, you know, like you and Colin are who made uh, the list, but like, just, I, I don't know. I'd be kind of, that'd be kind of fun to see a six, five shortstop in the MLB. Yeah, for sure. And let's talk about a guy who is pretty young. Um, he got drafted in 2018. That'd be Logan O'Hop uh, for the Angels. Uh, originally drafted by the Phillies in the 23rd round of the 2018 MLB draft. And he's really had to grind it out. Started out 2018 rookie ball, 2019 in lower A. Um, and then spent a little bit of time in the Australian Baseball League in 2020. And then comes back after the pandemic. He's playing for, um, he's playing in the Jersey Shore in, uh, in, uh, for the Phillies organization, the Jersey Shore Blue Claws in the advanced A division. <clears throat> Jumps up, plays in double A a little bit after some solid numbers in advanced A, and then goes into double A. 13 games, he bats 296, three home runs, 16 hits. Some solid stuff out of the catching prospect. But I think his glove is uh, a phenomenal. Um, it, it's hard to get a lot of catcher statistics when it comes to the younger guys. But now he's with the Angels, a team that could probably use some catching prospects. I don't. I'm not certain that he will come up this year. But now with the Angels, he did come up, played five games for him. Batted 286, which is great. Four hits uh, in 14 at-bats. But I, I just I want to see a little bit more before I'm willing to say that he's going to be great in Los Angeles. Who, um, who did L.A. make the move for? Um, we talked about it on the podcast. It's like one of my first episodes. They picked up a free agent. Uh, they picked up a couple different ones. Uh, notably, I believe it was Tyler Anderson, the starting pitcher. Uh, they picked up Gio Urshela as well. That's right. Yep. Uh, I don't know. They made maybe some other moves as well. Yeah, maybe this prospect. I don't know if if he somehow makes it into the MLB. Um, you know, gets brought up to play for the Angels. Angels, you know, they're one of those teams where it's about time, you know, for them to do something. <laughs> Or Mike Trout's going to be out of there. So, I don't know. Maybe he can come and help out with that if he ends up proving himself. Yeah, especially with the Shohei situation right now because it it looks more and more like he's going to leave like every week. It seems like he's further <laughs> and further away from staying with that team. And now, like, they decide not to sell the team bunch like all this offseason stuff with the franchise or with the uh yeah with the franchise itself but uh, it's look Los Angeles or Anaheim in specific has been very bad uh, just baseball there in general has been very bad for a while now and they need young guys to come up and make a difference and hopefully Logan O'Hop can be that at the catcher position all right and that brings us to our next and uh, and that's Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson is fantastic. Uh, he is the number one prospect in the MLB right now. 
Orioles, third baseman slash shortstop, 6'2", 21 years old, bats lefty, throws righty. He can really do it all. He uh, he grades overall at a 65, a 60 hit tool, 65 power, 55 run, 70 arm. The guy is fantastic. And I think with the youth that's coming up right now in the Orioles, Farm system with Adley Rutschman coming up last year, having a great first season. Now Gunnar Henderson's coming up. We already talked about D.L. Hall. There's other guys. Grayson Rodriguez is another one. He comes in at number seven, a guy that we didn't include on this list, but definitely deserves some shine. There is a ton of talent coming up in the Orioles farm system, and Gunnar Henderson is 100% leading the way. He's been amazing. And... He has gold glove potential at third, honestly, and looks like, you know, it looks like he'll probably come up pretty early in the season if he doesn't start the season there, and I've got the highest hopes for Gunnar Henderson right now. He is a fantastic player. Drafted in 2019, second round to the Orioles, and yeah, he just, he tests well. When it comes to when it comes down to it, he didn't look great in his 34 games in Baltimore in 2022, which kind of sucks. But there's still things to look for: seven doubles, one triple, four homers in those games, 30 hits. So 30 hits, 34 games, 16 walks. That's getting on base at least over once a game. And that's what you're looking for with a guy, especially a young guy, is just getting on base. An on-base percentage of 348, that's great. He just needs to keep it up. He's done it in the minors very well. 2022, um, the time that he spent with uh, the AA and AAA teams, he batted a combined 297, a slugging percentage of 531, and an OPS of 947. He's got it, man. He's got the it factor, and I think he's going to be the next big thing for the Orioles. Yeah, and that's really all the Orioles need because they were super close to a wild card spot last season, and they're they're a scary. They're what's going on in Baltimore is scary right now. Um, they are a young team. They got a lot of grit to them, and as a Yankees fan, I'm super worried about you know what it looks like with the Orioles and probably the next two or three years. Yeah, Camden Yards is going to look like a, a preschool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those preschoolers you... are very good at baseball. Yes. <laughs> All right. Our last guy on the list, Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez. He is technically, he's already at the MLB level. Uh, he played five games last year for the Mets at the majors, but Comes in number three prospect overall, 5'10", 233. He's a big boy at the catcher position especially. Look, it's like the one position where if your defense elsewhere isn't great, you can play catcher if you're good at it, and you could be a little bigger. But regardless, he's just been lighting it up, especially with the power. Last season in the minors, he played... 112 games, 27 home runs, 78 RBIs. He walked 70 times. 
he's fantastic. 22 doubles as well. He gets the extra base hits. He's got the pop. It's just, you know, a matter of time. Francisco Alvarez is set up perfectly. A, a team in a situation like the Mets, he's got a great spot. Look, there's no pressure on him to be the best player. He's got bats around him. He's got power around him in general. Pete Alonso just being there takes all of the home run pressure off of Francisco Alvarez. So all he has to do is play decent behind the plate and come in and just get on base. He can do it very well. He didn't show it all that well in those five games last season, but there's a lot to look forward to with Francisco Alvarez, and it's especially that power. Do we know how hard he can throw? Uh, I haven't looked at any kind of pop times, but um, his his arm is only rated at a 55, but when it comes to the hitting side, a 55 hit tool and a 70 power tool, you don't see a 70 power tool all that much with prospects. All right. It's going to round it out for the minor leaguers, but you know we're going over a little bit. Uh, we'll quickly run through this quick MLB news thing. Actually, you know what? No, we're skipping the MLB news. We got to talk transfer deadline. We've run this on way too long. Quickly, Bayern Munich midfielder Marcel Sabitzer on loan to Man U. Fantastic move. Your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, Marcel Sabitzer. I, I don't know how he's been at Bayern Munich, but I know at Leipzig he was a stud. And Manchester United just got themselves a very decent midfielder. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic pickup. Next, PSG keeper Kaylor Navas is sent on loan to Nottingham Forest. And this is the first of multiple Nottingham Forest moves that are going to significantly help out their defense. And I think it's going to put them in a good position. Yeah, look, Kaylor Navas... Um... Don't really care what anybody else says. This guy is still a world-class keeper. He's one of my favorites, you know, keepers of all time. And, you know, Nottingham Forest, they're, you know, with a couple other signings on top of this Kaylor Navas one, they, you know, they might look dangerous the rest of the season. Uh, I love this move. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic move because, look, right now, Nottingham Forest's problem is the goals allowed. Obviously, they can't really score all that many but they've only scored 16 goals. So obviously the attacking needs help, but you give up 35 goals, it needs help. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're addressing their needs. And as a team, they, I believe this is their first season back in the Prem, right? Um, After a I, yeah, while. I believe so. So, you know, a, a pretty historic club in general in England. And... They just need to stay there, and they're making a, a quite, quite an effort at staying in. It, it seems like they made a lot more high-level moves than a lot of the teams below them in the table. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's kind of why I like it. it is it it's going to shake up a lot down there? I think, and who knows what Nottingham Forest can do with all the players that they're bringing in? I mean, I already kind of think that they're you know they have some decent you know players on their roster as it is. They brought in a lot of key players that, you know, can be instrumental in kind of like a comeback for them this season. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a fantastic move. Next, uh, Man City defender Yao Cancelo 
on loan to Bayern Munich. And this one really surprised me. It popped up on my phone the other day, and I was like, what in the hell? Because I, you know, for all I'm concerned, Yao Cancelo is a world-class defender on one of the best teams in the Prem. Why are they loaning him out to Bayern? I'm not too sure at all, but um, a little bit of a a fun fact here. Yao Cancelo assisted Chupo Motang on his uh in his Bayern Munich debut from across so yeah Jao Cancelo is one of the best fullbacks in the league you know out of all the right backs and left backs I he would definitely probably be in my top seven I would say very strange move I I guess Manchester City you know kind of have other plans you know who knows what goes on in the mind of Pep but Jao Cancelo is going to be effective on any team he goes to I think it maybe is more of a hint that them looking more towards a three at the back formation. Um, you know, Yao Cancelo, of course, he's a fantastic defender, but a lot of his value comes from being able to push up the field. And in a three defender setup, you can't really do that all that much. So, you know, I could see a back three where it's most likely Ruben Diaz, um, uh, Akanji, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, Akanji and maybe Nathan Ake. Uh, you know, they have a couple of options there. Yeah. But Which it makes sense because uh, Ake and Akanji are very athletic center backs that could play, you know, out wide and defend if they needed to in a three-back formation. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah. And then one that's not really all that significant, but I thought it was an interesting move, is uh, Matt Doherty leaves Spurs on a free transfer to Atletico Madrid. That's just not a landing spot that I really saw happening. Yeah, um, if you're Tottenham, I don't know why you're losing defenders on free transfers, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, Tottenham could use some help, so I'm kind of surprised they're giving him up. He's a guy, he's been there for a few years now. He hasn't played uh, amazing, but he's definitely not a bad defender. So, yeah. interesting move there. Uh, Hector Bellerin, ba- ugh. I I always try to do the double L, and it never works out with his name. I'm just saying Bellerin. He's yeah. leaving Barcelona on a free transfer to Sporting Lisbon. Makes sense. It, it seems like he's been on a decline ever since those early years at Arsenal. Exactly. Uh, Bayerin never really amounted to what everybody thought he was. I, I remember, I, I'm not really too sure when it was, you know, year-wise or season-wise, but you know, everybody was he, – he was, you know, kind of like a little media um, – he was in a media hotspot because everybody was, you know, so fascinated with how fast he was. And, yeah, he just never really kind of – uh, made it anywhere and he even moved to Barcelona which I think is pretty um pretty lucky for him you know going from Arsenal to Barcelona uh in like a decline of his career but yeah it's a good move for him I mean and Sporting got him for free and he's played on top teams so I think it's a good move yeah all right next Atletico Madrid center back Felipe joins Nottingham Forest. So like we said, Nottingham Forest made a ton of great moves, and this is most definitely one of them. Felipe is getting up there in age, but his defensive prowess is undeniably good. Yeah, Felipe is an underrated, really solid center back. He, he's the Brazilian one, right? Yes. Yeah, and Nottingham Forest, you know, with, with where they're at now, Felipe definitely is a first day you know, or an immediate starter for them. So all, another move. That is just really good for Nottingham Forest. Yeah, and it brings us to another. Andre Ayew joins Nottingham Forest, uh, a guy who's kind of been out of the limelight for a little bit, but coming back to the Prem, I believe he was with Fenerbahce maybe before this. Yes. Yes. Um, 
it, it's a it's a good move. Yeah, um, Andre Ayew, he looked good, you know, uh, in certain games for Swansea uh, back in the day. I always kind of had a lot of respect for him. He's also the co uh, the captain for uh, Ghana, and they've always kind of been a decent, you know, African soccer country. It, it's a great move, and it's, you know, Nottingham Forest, what they seem to be doing is kind of bringing in a lot of um, a lot of older guys that are, you know, well-seasoned in the sport and have seen it all, and I think it's, you know, great for the team that they have now. Yeah. And uh, let's go to a, a youngster kind of move. Juventus uh, sends Weston McKinney out on loan to Leeds. So I Weston McKinney wait. joins his fellow Americans in the midfield, Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson. And I think this is an awesome move for Leeds. I know you were pumped up about this, but yeah, Leeds seem to be kind of kind of building their own little little USA over there going on. It's 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 awesome to see them in the prim. I love it. Yeah. Look, this is just the start. USA Soccer, man. We got it. We're coming. <laughs> Wait, but Weston McKinney, I mean, he's already proved himself at Juventus, and, you know, they're in shambles now after getting deducted like 10 points and just, just ridiculous stuff going on for Juventus. But, yeah, Weston McKinney gets to kind of escape all that and just, you know, play for a team that already has Americans on it. Um, and it'll be a good chance for him, I think, to show what he has, you know, learned at Juventus and kind of – learn from being an American at a top team. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do kind of moving to a little bit of a worse team. So very excited for this one. Yeah. I, I love that move so much. You know how much I love the U S soccer team and oh, just sure. seeing our guys in the prem representing us well. And those are three guys that definitely are next move. Uh, a couple of Chelsea moves to talk about for you, Luke Benfica center mid center mid Enzo Fernandez transfers to Chelsea permanent transfer. For 121 million euros, I want to get your take on this. Do you think this is a great move? Do you think maybe you guys overpaid? I think uh, – I don't know. I, I've heard a lot of overpaid comments, but I think we've got a good one here, Grayson. I, I hope it's not just my biased, you know, optimistic thinking. But Enzo Fernandez, you know, my kind of, uh, you know, from the couch uh, scouting report, I'll call it, is – he looks like Casemiro with offensive capabilities, which <laughs> sounds like it could be the greatest midfielder in the world. Of course, that's that's a scouting report, just kind of what I've noticed. But I've seen I've seen his slide tackles. He's very tough, hard nosed center back that can play in front of the back four. But I actually have some stats to throw out to you, Grayson, about Enzo Fernandez. So he led the Portuguese league. Uh, with um, 10.4 accurate long passes per 90 minutes. Complete, like, there wasn't any, even anybody close to him in that stat. Um, also, that same stat transferred to the Champions League. He was second best, only behind Tony Cruz. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, another good stat there. And as far as just regular passing, just in general, not long passing, 92.8 accurate passes per 90, which was also by far the best in the Portuguese league. And like I said, he has very hard-nosed defending, tackling capabilities. I think Chelsea got a very good one. And personally, I don't think we overpaid. Yeah, I think people are saying he's overpaid just because he was kind of valued in like the – 50s to 70s and I think that the big deal here was that it was you know a, a full transfer so that's why it costs a lot of money and he's a young guy he's 22 he's coming off of a world cup victory with Argentina 
in 2021, he won the Argentinian League with the River Plate. Now he's with, he's been with Benfica. He's really showed out, and I think that it's a great move, honestly. Yeah, um, super excited for him to take the field. I think he'll probably uh, get subbed on against Fulham, but we'll get into that later uh, whenever we cover the Premier League. But um, yeah, Enzo Fernandez, I, I am very excited about him. But shout out to Benfica. Uh, I saw this stat um, a couple days ago, Grayson, where – the last four years, Benfica have had three players get signed to other teams for transfers that were over 100 million euros. Wow. Had Darwin Nunes, Jao Felix to Atletico Madrid. Darwin Nunes obviously went to Liverpool. And now Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea. So <laughs> pleasure, pleasure doing business with Benfica. Uh, they have been awesome. Yeah, and two of those <laughs> guys least. are on your team now. Exactly, yeah. All right, next one. Arsenal, they pick up Jorginho from Chelsea. And look, Jorginho just hasn't been good this season, simply. No, um, I remember after the Euro, uh, and I was one of these people that felt this way, we all thought that Jorginho was the second coming of Pirlo. <laughs> and uh, that that was obviously, he had a great Euro with Italy. He had a um, also a really good season with Chelsea, you know, won the Champions League. Yeah, this season he's completely flopped, and when you flop at Chelsea, you are literally given no second chances. Just ask Frank Lampard, Thomas Tuchel. I, I mean, the list goes on and on about Chelsea just, you know, not letting people develop or have any time. But I'm honestly fine with the Jorginho move. Sucks that he went to Arsenal, but like I said, we just bought Enzo Fernandez, and I have no problem putting all my eggs into Enzo Fernandez's basket. Yeah, I, I think that Enzo Fernandez, especially with his youth, um, will kind of – help out a lot more in the midfield. It brings a different type of style to your midfield when you replace him uh, or when you replace Jorginho with Enzo Fernandez. Yeah, it's very Premier League-esque. Look, I, I, the only reason that Jorginho even got brought to the fucking Premier League is because Maurizio Sarri, another manager that had no time at Chelsea, who was Jorginho's manager at Napoli, when Sarri came to Chelsea, he immediately bought Jorginho. Of course he would, because that was one of his favorite players at Napoli and played really well at Napoli. Jorginho was never built for the Premier League. He's slow as hell. Um, He can't really body or defend anybody. He's just kind of there to pass. And if you're just a passer in the Premier League, you're going to get your shit rocked because the Premier League players are built like where or. I almost said warehouses. I meant to say wardrobes. But, yeah, Jorginho just was never a fit, and the only reason he got brought to Chelsea was because of that one manager. I am totally fine losing him to Arsenal. Yeah, I think that now that he's gone and you bring in Enzo Fernandez, your midfield is going to look really good, especially when N'Golo Conte comes back. Yeah, uh, and uh, one more thing that I wanted to bring up is Enzo, Enzo Fernandez is kind of that new style midfielder that everybody's going for. You want someone that can defend, but is also very tactical. And look, I mean, I didn't really have any defending stats, but he's made a lot of great slide tackles that I've seen in highlights. And the passing is there. That's what you want in a Premier League, um, you know, CDM these days is someone that can pass and someone who's tough. That's Enzo Fernandez. Yeah. And it looks like. Conte is going to be a little bit longer. He's looking at maybe early March uh, to come back. And then uh, Mateo Kovacic, um, it's, they're hopeful that he will return against Fulham. But 
Um, he'll miss the game, uh, most likely. We'll see. Yeah, I, but, I have some big names that are coming back for Fulham whenever we cover that. So, All right. Well, then, let's talk about this Hakeem Ziyech deal. You know a little bit more about this than me, but uh, it appeared he was going to go on loan to PSG, and then all of a sudden he's not. Yeah, I'm excited to tell this um, to you because we did not uh, really talk about it before we started recording. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm going to start it this way. Chelsea, even though they are my favorite team uh, in, in soccer, that is, unlike the Steelers, they, Chelsea are completely different. There really is no history to Chelsea. Also, the front office of the Steelers is a little bit more stable than Chelsea as far as, you know, managers and just – anybody in that kind of era. So it's really easy for me, or not era, area, it's really easy for me to pick out, you know, Chelsea's flaws and stuff, even though they are my beloved, you know, soccer team. And this Hakeem Ziyech, it just completely goes along with the whole idea that Chelsea are a a pretty immature, immaturely ran soccer team. Grayson, are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm all ears. Hakeem Ziyech. Flies into Paris, fully expecting to, to leave Chelsea permanently, even though it was a loan deal, right? I mean, he, he knew it was just a loan, but both parties kind of knew it, he was probably going to get signed afterwards. He gets to Paris, and PSG are looking through the paperwork, and some of it's missing or not filled out by, by Chelsea's end. So Akeem Ziyech is stranded in Paris, and the transfer window ends. That is ridiculous. I wish I had knew that. Knew that. That's so yeah. crazy. Yeah. So he, I, the transfer window ended, and obviously PSG appealed it. But you know, the league is kind of. It's one of those where they're all kind of against PSG because they're already so damn good. And of course, they they um, denied PSG's appeal. So Hakeem Ziyech, you know, for him, I'm sure he's probably like furious with Chelsea. Because yeah. who wants to be at Chelsea right now? They're they're bringing in all these different players, right? Uh, just spending all this shitload of money. They they're in tenth place. I'm sure he was thrilled to go play with Messi and Mbappe and Neymar, stranded in Paris. Yeah, because it's... of paperwork that wasn't filled out on Chelsea's end. It's insane. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, yeah. How does that happen? Honestly, I have no like idea. how many other times have you done that paperwork? Yeah. <laughs> Especially this season, right? I mean, Chelsea have spent over 500 million euros on players. I, I'm sure they've had to fill out the same type of paperwork. It's it's boggles me. Yeah, that's that's crazy. But let's go ahead and get into the weekend preview. Chelsea Fulham on Friday. So today, as you're listening to it, I think this is actually going to be a really good game. Yeah, you got 10th versus 7th place here. And going back to, you know, the injury report of Chelsea, uh, you were kind of talking about it earlier. Reese James, Raheem Sterling, and Ben Chilwell are all back this week, which is great news for Chelsea fans. And I, I think, you know, I don't know what it is, but there's a certain positivity, you know, with all of these signings. We're going to see Enzo Fernandez as a sub. Hopefully, Mudrick is going to um, start his first game. And I, I think Chelsea wins this two nothing. That's my score prediction. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good things happening, and this is where it'll turn around for Chelsea. I think it's going to be one zero Chelsea. Okay, I like it. Who's going to score? Oh, see, I don't know if in, if Enzo Fernandez was starting, I'd say he'd assist the goal. 
Um, I, I don't know, man. I, you know what? Mudrick. Mudrick's going to score his first goal. like it. I think he'll score twice. Wow. All Dude, right. I'm telling you, my, my stake your claim from last week stands. This guy's better than Hazard. <laughs> All right. We'll see. And then with Saturday, when it comes to the Saturday's matchups, there's not really any good ones. It's uh, a lot of, you know, top table versus bottom. Uh, Everton, Arsenal, uh, to, to note one, Man U versus Crystal Palace, Liverpool versus Wolves, Newcastle versus West Ham. It's not a great Saturday, but we get into Sunday, and there's two matches that are very good. You got Nottingham Forest versus Leeds. Nottingham Forest, of course, making a bunch of great acquisitions. And then Leeds picking up Weston McKinney. I'm interested to see what happens. Both of these teams are, you know, 13 and 15 respectively. They've both got to get it in gear. And, you know, maybe we see one of these teams that wins this game emerge as somebody that's going to start climbing. Yeah, I like how you put this on our prep sheet this week because you're right. It is a 13th versus 15th, you know, position game. But, like, it is so much better than that because both of these teams are in a position – where it's kind of it's make or break time, right? Your your um, last chance to sign players for this season has ended, and both teams have brought in. Uh, you know, Leeds obviously brought in Weston McKinney; he'll be instrumental. And Nottingham Forest brought in you know three guys that'll probably be instrumental and be immediate starters. But you know, going back to it, they're both these teams are in a position where they probably need to start all of these signings immediately. And I know a lot of teams don't really do that, like you know. Chelsea sat Mudrick in his, um, you know, first start. Of course, he came on as a sub. But, you know, you're 13th and 15th. And I, I think it can make for a really great game. And I think both of these teams need to be aggressive and just play all their new signings. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you're that low in the table, sometimes those games are better than others. You're fighting for your life down there. You yeah. know, sometimes that's better than like a one versus two matchup. Yeah, maybe you're playing for first place, but these guys are fighting to stay in the Premier League. I'm going to go ooh, 2-1 leads. I'm, interestingly enough, from what I said earlier about this game, I think it's going to be nil-nil. Okay. I, I just, I think Nottingham Forest adding these defensive players is going to be huge for them. Uh, you know, I'm not too sure who all is going to be eligible, but, you know, we'll see. But... I think that adding Kaylor Navas and adding Felipe in the defense is going to be a huge help. Leeds doesn't have the best attacking prowess. And then for Leeds, yeah, you can add you know a midfielder, but is it going to change the issues you're having with scoring goals? Yeah, um, that's a very good point. All right. Sunday, Spurs versus Man City, a what? Where's Spurs at in the table? They're five, so a top five matchup. Spurs looking to possibly jump Man U if Man U loses to Crystal Palace, which probably won't happen. But, you know, Spurs is trying to keep it close and maybe make it into the Champions League. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. It, Spurs are definitely, you know, they're top five. They're a good team. But Manchester City, and we've talked about it before, they just match up against Tottenham so well with where, you know, their strengths are. I think Tottenham will lose this game 3 nothing, And 
it's just you know Tottenham, like I said earlier, they're a good team, but they Manchester City is literally their kryptonite. With all Tottenham's problems, Manchester City will score multiple goals. I'll be super surprised if Manchester City only score once. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think it's going to be three one. I think Harry Kane will get on the board. Uh, Erling Holland will have two, and you know what? We'll give Kevin De Bruyne a goal. Like it, but it's just you know this is a top top five game as you've mentioned, but I don't really think it's going to look like it because of the two teams that are matched up against each other. Manchester City just have everything that Tottenham can ne- literally cannot defend against with the team they have now. It, it's going to take you know a lot of surprise and a lot of early scoring in the game. I think if Tottenham want to have any chance of having you know chance in this game. Yeah, uh, I think so. It's going to be interesting to see. I do think Man City is going to play very well. But, you know, kind of like what we just said with Leeds and Nottingham Forest, Spurs is kind of fighting for something here a little bit more than Man City. Uh, Man City's kind of got their spot. It's hard to believe that Man City is five points out of first place. It feels like they should be in first. They've scored 53 goals. They have a 33-goal differential. It seems like they should be the best team in the league right now, but just Arsenal is ahead of them. And... I just, I don't know. I think Tottenham's going to come out with some fire. I just think their defensive struggles is what's going to screw them over. Yeah, Tottenham will, Tottenham will, may look, they might look good against Manchester City, but ultimately they're going to fall short whether they look good or not, in my opinion. Yep, I'm in the same boat. All right, that rounds it out for the Premier League. Let's get into stake your claim, and then we'll get out of here. All right. Um, Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's going to go to the Jets. That's my, I guess it's my hot take is I think we're going to have a, I think we're going to have another Packers season for Aaron Rodgers this year. Really? Yeah. I really do. I feel like there's so much turmoil right now. There is. And I don't, there's something about Matt LaFleur that I just can't stand. Maybe Aaron Rodgers sees it too. Uh, I don't know. I think the, the Packers need to give him a receiver for sure. Well, he's got um, Christian Watson now. The thing is, is can you hold on to Alan Lazard, and can Alan Lazard really be a primary target? Yeah, and I, I actually another hot take that I had, um, you know, before we even had this podcast uh, earlier this season was that I thought Alan Lazard was going to be over a thousand yards. I, I always thought he was good with Devonte Adams, and I really thought that Alan Lazard was going to be good enough to step up and fill that role. He just wasn't, and. And yeah, you did bring up Christian Watson, and he's an insane touchdown machine. But I don't think I, I think for Aaron Rodgers to be successful, he's going to need a ten reception, a hundred yard kind of guy. And I don't think Christian Watson can be that yet. And I don't think Alan Lazard is even close. Yeah, I agree. I think he does need um, a consistent guy that you know he doesn't have to put up crazy numbers, but if he can just catch the ball, that's what he needs. And whether that be like a number one receiver type guy or even just a two, I think that that would put him in a great spot. Even like a little bit more consistent tight end. You know, Robert Tunyon's been pretty good, but maybe something better at the tight end position. Yeah. Brock Bowers to the Packers? Question mark? Darnell Washington in this draft? Ooh, that'd be a good one. We'll have to see. I love my boy Darnell. But if he, if he does go to the Jets, though, 
Hey, what do you think is the limit for this Jets team? Do you think the sky's the limit? Do you think they're going to be like a wild card and out? Do you think they'll make the playoffs? What do you think if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets? I think if he goes to the Jets, they have a chance to win that division. Okay. I think the Bills are going to take a step back next year. Is that your is that your sticker no, claim? It's not even my sticker claim. Okay, it probably that, should be, but that's it's a good not. one. Yeah, I, I do think they'll take a step back next year, and I think that I would lead the way for the Jets with Aaron Rodgers to make a big jump. Look, if they had consistent quarterback play last year, the Jets probably would have been a ten win team. Maybe more. Yeah. And I don't know, we'll see. But my stake your claim to kind of go along with the theme of the beginning of the episode is Tom Brady <clears throat> will not just go down as the greatest quarterback of all time or the greatest player of all time. He will go down as a legendary football commentator. Okay. I okay. Uh, that's a good one. So I've like listening to Tom Brady talk about football is amazing. He he's got a great voice. And when it comes down to like really analyzing an announcer itself, he's got a, a great cadence in the way he speaks that's very enjoyable to listen to. And obviously he knows the game probably better than anyone. He can you know, be that early Tony Romo kind of wow factor where Tony Romo is like calling the plays practically. But at the same time, I think Brady's insight in the game, his knowledge of, you know, the NFL throughout the years, his just his historical presence in the game of football is huge. And it's going to be a huge contribution to the booth. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like that take a lot. I, yeah, I don't know. You got me really hyped up to see Brady commentate on the Steelers. <laughs> Hopefully. We'll see. He's on Fox, so you won't get too many opportunities. But <laughs> that's going to do it for us this week. Anything else you got to add for the people, Luke? Yeah, I think, I think I'm good. Joey Porter Jr. to the Steelers. Please make it happen. I like that move. Yes. But we'll talk we'll talk draft when it comes April. We got a little surprise, a couple of surprises in store for y'all. But we'll talk about that when we get there. We went a little long this week, but you should enjoy that. You should be happy that there is more second and short for you to listen to, and there's more coming in the future. All right, guys, we'll catch y'all on Wednesday. Peace. Peace.